the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Maniple. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 172. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Stella. Of course. Uh, well, first off, I have to apologize because my voice is being a little crazy. So if uh, by the end of this recording, after we talk about Scott Snyder for 45 minutes, as we usually do, if uh, I am no longer able to speak and close out the episode, I apologize. But... Yeah, I have a total of four books to cover, um, including Batman Eternal. Um, we did get some questions on Twitter, more, more than one person asking us if we were covering Eternal, because some of you noticed that we actually have a special that is being produced on the Batman Universe specials, strictly covering Batman and Robin Eternal. Well, we are still covering Eternal here, so no need to fear, it is still happening. On the comic cast. In addition to that, we have news from Comic Con, uh, New York Comic Con, that is, and we have a buttload of listener Q and A's, which is always greatly appreciated. I have a feeling we're probably not going to get to a discussion this time, but we'll have plenty to discuss when we get to our listener Q and A's. So let's jump into comic news. The very first thing we have that I want to bring up is something that I we didn't talk about last episode. Uh, there, DC announced that there is a there's going to be a sp- Suicide Squad spinoff coming in January. Now, specifically, it's entitled Suicide Squad Deadshot Katana. But what's interesting is originally announced back in July, there was a Katana miniseries that was supposed to be coming out in July or in January. So I'm wondering, there's been no confirmation from DC's part on this, but I'm wondering if this new series called Suicide Squad Deadshot slash Katana is actually coming out as basically the idea that Katana was supposed to have her own miniseries, and for whatever reason there wasn't enough story to tell to make up six issues, so they're combining it with Deadshot. Because the actual press release states that uh, Brian Buccioletto, who we know from his run on Detective Comics just ran up, he's going to be bringing a new story about Deadshot, while Mike Barr is writing a story about Katana in the same pages. Um, the, each character seemingly from the, the description that DC released says that each character will have stories of their own rather than a story together. So I, my thought is the Katana story wasn't going to work out the way it, for the way it was planned for six issues. So now Deadshot's getting half the issues as well. Yeah, that seems to make the most sense. And I, I wonder if maybe they had had Deadshot in there as like a supporting character and then realized they needed to beef it up and then just co- co-headlined him. So, yeah, that makes sense. All right. The next thing we've got is on October 9th. This is straight out of New York Comic Con. Dark Knight 3 mini comic and interior art was teased. We do have this posted on the website for you to check out. Um, in addition to that, there was a, a number of different things talking. Jim Lee was talking about it, uh, the project. The first 16 mini page... 16-page mini-comic will star the Atom within the Dark Knight universe, and subsequent issues will obviously focus on very specific characters. Each issue will be a one-shot story featuring a character from that universe. 
Um, the f- it was also announced that the first issue features the first issue of Dark Knight Three: The Master Race Number One features uh, Andy Kubert as the artist and co-writer and Brian Azzarello with Frank Miller. That will be the creative team on the book. So Andy Kubert will actually be doing the art on the title. So you can check out the art over on the website. Strongly encouraged. Uh, Frank Miller actually did the Adam mini comic cover art. For you to check out. <laughs> Sorry. That, that, that Superman is, that p- picture of Superman is, though, interesting. Yes, to say the least. I'm gonna leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. If you want to know what he's talking about, head over to the just, website. Yeah, just go look at it. You'll, it'll be pretty apparent. Alright, also on October 9th, it was announced in New York Comic Con that Greg Capullo will be leaving Batman. Not permanently, but taking a hiatus. Uh, basically, the gist is that uh, during a Scott Snyder spotlight panel, he revealed that his uh, col- collaborator, Craig Capullo, will be taking a break from the monthly book in 2016. The break is in order for him to work on a creator-owned project with Mark Miller. He specifically said Greg is going to take a break after Batman number 51. It's going to be very short. He and I have known this for some time. He's going to be doing a short project with Mark Miller. I'm going to stay on Batman. When you work with someone for a long time, the best thing about comics is the collaborative nature of it. Snyder also mentioned that he will be doing more Batman work with collaborator Sean Murphy, who worked on, uh, who worked with Snyder on a short story in Detective Comics number 27, though it's not clear if Murphy will be the fill-in artist for Capullo while he's gone. Capullo has obviously been working with Snyder since the beginning of the New 52, and as we have said multiple times before, we, uh, we, we've, we had no idea what was going to happen after number, after number, after issue number 50 due to the fact that that was when their contract ran out. So, I have to say one, uh, two things. The first thing is, it's quite funny how for the longest time Snyder was just basically went on and on, I will not stay on Batman if Capullo's not on it. I will not stay on Batman if Capullo's not on it. And now it's basically, well, Capullo's going to come back, so I'm going to stay on the book in the meantime. So the curious thing is, how long will Snyder stay on the book now that we know he will be on the book past issue 50? I'm kind of surprised we didn't get some kind of announcement of a contract extension, right? Because remember, at San yes, Diego, yeah. that was one of the big things everyone was talking about. It was like, ooh, their contract runs out at 50, so... This, and he kind of just slipped it in. Think about it. We didn't get an announcement that Snyder was staying on the book to 60 or another year. We got the announcement that they would be a fill-in artist. And the only reason we found out he was staying on past 50 is because he said, oh, in 50, we have a different artist, you know? Um, so I don't, I think the whole thing is, is, is kind of strange. Um, I guess this isn't any different than Greg Capullo taking off, um, time before because we've had fill-in artists typically only for an issue or so. Um, and I know they keep saying a short-term project, but there's no one's really spelled out what that means. Um, so I'm thinking six months, maybe Capullo will be gone and then be back on the book. But at this point, it, I guess we'd have to say Snyder's going to probably be on it for another couple years past 50. So at least till maybe 70, issue 75 yeah. now. Yeah. That's my guess at this point. All right. Next up, also from New York Comic-Con, October 10th, it was announced that there is a Dark Knight Returns prequel coming in February. That's right. You heard that correctly. There is a prequel. The basic announcement was that during the 30th anniversary of the Dark Knight Returns panel at New York Comic Con, Dio announced that a 48-page one-shot prequel to the classic series written by Frank Miller and Brian Azzarello with art by John Romita Jr., he specifically said, so what John's going to be doing is a 48-page special for February celebrating the 30th anniversary of The Dark Knight, which is actually a prequel for The Dark Knight book. And then we have plans for John following that, he told CBR News. 
Additionally, he, as announced at the Heroes to the Core panel, Dark Knight 3 Master Race will take a break in February after its first three issues, where it will instead be replaced by this special one-shot prequel during that month. So, is it really that surprising that, of course, this is already going to have a delay and they're going to throw in a prequel? Um, no. I think that they probably plan this. One, a couple things. I'm wondering if the prequel will be available in 14 different formats to match your oh, Dark Knight gosh. Strikes Again. Multiple, oh, man. You know? I, but, and then the second thing is, this, this is not meant to me sound like a smart ass. It's certainly going to come across like that. But isn't the entire Batman universe, everything we read, a prequel to the Dark Knight Strikes Again? Right? Isn't this all a prequel? So. Okay, I guess, yes, if you look at Dark Knight Returns and not as an Elseworlds title. Right. I mean, so I don't know. I just, we haven't had anything since Strikes Again was 2001. Dark Knight was 86, 87. Um, we haven't had anything since then, and now we're just getting bamboozled with it. So I don't think they need to do this. I wish they would just publish it over six months. Uh, but I guess we're getting it, so better enjoy it. All right. Also on October 10th, it was announced that there is a new creative team heading to Batman Superman out of New York Comic Con via the Twitter account of writer Tom Taylor and then retweeted by DC Comics. Taylor stated that he and artist Robson Rocha will be writing a story in DC's Batman Superman series. The, there has not been an official announcement from DC other than the tweet that they retweeted, but it may be for an only single arc given Taylor's wording of writing a story for the series. Solicitations for January are right around the corner and Taylor and team may only be filling in for the current writer Greg Pak and team. Also part of the announcement was the cover from their first issue with, from Yannick Paquette, who will be joining them by just doing the covers for their story. So you can check out the cover over on the website. Tom Taylor, who's probably best known for working on Earth 2, Earth 2, World's End, uh, uh, for Convergence, as well as, uh, Injustice Gods Among Us for the first three years of the series. So, Tom Taylor is going to be writing us a story. So that's what we can look forward to for Batman Superman. And that'll be good. I don't know if anybody here is Star Wars fans, probably all of us on some level. Uh, but he wrote all, a lot of really good Star Wars stuff for Dark Horse before they lost it to Marvel. So he's actually a pretty cool, pretty cool author. So I'm, I'm actually literally looking forward to this. All right. And, and also, timing-wise, it's convenient because if he starts in January, which is most likely the case if they announced it at New York Comic Con or during that time frame because solicitations are right around the corner for January. So it'll probably be at least a three-issue story arc taking us through March which is also the same time that Batman vs. Superman comes out. So, we'll see. All right, then finally from New York Comic Con, we have uh, the the comic panel roundup uh, from the Scott Snyder spotlight panel. Here are the highlights. Snyder knows that he keeps promising small stories, but when he tries to write <laughs> them, he convinces himself to swing for the fences instead. boy. When he has his last issue with Greg Capullo on Batman, he wants to be a quiet night in Gotham when Batman gets a night off. Uh, he had to fight against DC editorial to push for the suggestion that Lincoln March was Bruce's brother. Snyder hinted at more, hinted more at the possibility of doing a Two-Face story, exploring why Two-Face is truly scary. Snyder says that the reason Batman keeps secrets from the Bat family is that he scares himself. At the end of Super Heavy, Snyder said that Bruce will have to die for Batman to live. So that is the highlights from that. Out of that, there's not a whole lot there. I mean, he, he, I know he, it, it, Ed laughed about the small stories thing because I always bring that up because he does say it all the time. It is interesting that he had to fight 
editorial for Lincoln March to be Bruce's brother, even though we still to this day don't even know if that's actually true because it was very hazy on whether or not Lincoln March was just out of his mind and it was all a rude or, you know, it wasn't real. But I, it shows that at some point Snyder did have to fight editorial, but it doesn't seem like he has to do that anymore. Also, that was the first story that he wrote within the New 52, probably. And he also had probably a lot more uh, limitations on what he was able to do. I think that if you look at all the authors from the time the New 52 launched, I think you'll see that all of them were a lot more structured, you know? Like, that they had laid out some semi-concrete plans for the New 52, and I think that's what he got caught up with. But as far as him doing shorter stories, it's just never going to happen. Just, just stop. Like, yeah, stop just saying stop it. telling people it's going to happen. Yeah, just stop acting like it's... You know, like the only short stories yeah. we ever have are the one-off issues that he does when Capullo's not doing the art, and more than half the time they're wrote by James yeah. Tinian. Well, no, they're wrote <laughs> by James Tinian, or they are co-written by somebody else. Like uh, Forty-Four was co-written by Brian Azrello. Yep. Uh, last year, that in August, that issue that came out was co-written by Gary Duggan. So, and then there was the Becky Cloonan one. I mean, there's he co-writes a lot of stuff when it's not just. Him and Capullo. So, all right, from the Bat Universe panel, Snyder and Capullo said that the superhero, super heavy story really ramps up in number 45 and 46. James Tingen repeated what he said in interviews that Cassandra Kane won't be the only character reintroduced to continuity in Batman and Robin Eternal. Peter Tomasi said that we will get to see Gordon as a detective, even though Batman will be working with the Justice League in upcoming issues of Detective Comics. Amy Chu said that her upcoming Poison Ivy miniseries will show us that Ivy is one of Batman's smartest villains. Snyder said that 2016 will be a big year for Robin in the pages of Batman. Okay, real quick, before I finish, I have to, we have to, we have to talk about that comment. What about Poison Ivy? Or about no, Robin? no, no. Snyder saying that big, that, that 2016 will be a big year for Robin in the pages of Batman. The only way that I think that even is any remotely that makes any sense is if Dick Grayson is going to assume the mantle again. Because if he's not, we don't ever see Robin in Batman, and when we do, uh, it's basically dust. them being tortured. Dust, so dust. It's going to be Duke Thomas as Robin. Oh, God. It's going to happen. Well, uh, I guess with, you know, 45 this month, it, obviously they hinted at that. I'm telling you, it's it's... The other, listen, it's, I know continuity is fluid, blah, 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 blah. But while everyone else took the one year into the future or five years into the future specials we had for September a couple years ago, some people took them seriously, some people didn't, some people played around with them. Snyder took his to be serious. I really think he did. He talked about the cloning aspect, right? Which was something that he brought back up. And in that issue, he had Duke Thomas as Robin. I think it's going to happen. And I think that's what he means by it's going to be a big year because it's going to be another Robin, which, Listen, yeah, everyone knows I like Snyder, but we don't need another Robin. So. We don't, we don't need another Robin. It's not just any, it's nothing against Duke Thomas in any way, but no, the scary. reality of it is, Snyder hasn't written any Robins at all in the pages of Batman. Uh, we, other than Damien appearing in that portrait in the very first issue of Batman, Damien doesn't even exist in this story, in, in Snyder's oh. stories, which he has said multiple times that he has no desire to write Damien, which he said again, um, well, actually, one of the next points that I was going to say is Snyder said that the reason he avoids writing Damien is it reminds him too much of his son, and he can't imagine writing stories about his son being in danger. Well. So, because of that, Damien will never be in it. We don't see Tim Drake or Jason or, I mean, Dick to a degree is barely in it, too. So, 
he again is doing this thing that we discussed last time during the listener Q and A's of he's using another one of his own creations to basically tell his story, which by all means, that's fine. But again, there's characters out there that are already there. So instead he's just creating a character that is just a little bit older than, or well, let's say he was 16 years old. We don't know how old Duke Thomas is for sure, but let's say he's 16 years old. Okay, well, Tim Drake is 16 years old too. Why wouldn't you just bring back Tim Drake if you didn't want to use Damien? Like, why do you need to have another create uh, character? So it just comes across as that. But anyway, the last bit uh, from that panel was Tom King was asked if Dick Grayson would ever be Nightwing again. And he answered that in his eyes, he is still Nightwing, just Nightwing working for Spiral. The next panel... DC All Access panel, uh, Jimmy Palmiotti said that Harley's Little Black Book will come out every two months and will focus on a different hero team-up every time like the series of one-shots, like a series of one-shots. The Gotham Academy issue that is a Robin Moore tie-in will be the fun part of what will be a very difficult story. Babs Tar based the design for the new Velvet Tiger on a dress that she owns. Tar <laughs> wants to see the 90s-era Superboy in Batgirl. Oh. Azrael may have already been seen in the pages of Midnighter. There have been Batman Beyond and Terry McGinnis Easter eggs within the pages of Gotham Academy. So, not a whole lot there. I I thought it was kind of interesting that Azrael might have appeared in Midnighter. Azrael, yeah. Because I was like, well, maybe I need to go back and try to find out where Azrael, like which Azrael are they talking about, number one, Michael Lane or Jean-Paul Valley, and in what way did they appear? I must have missed that. Yeah. I did notice that there were in pages of Batman Eternal 1, I believe it was, there was a bunch of names on the back computer, and one of them is Jean P.A., and then there's block, the rest is blocked off, leading me to believe that obviously his name is on there, is on the list that, uh, of the mother too, but we'll get to and, that when we get to the reviews. Huh. And then, uh, for Batman Beyond, let's ask our resident Gotham Academy expert in Stella. Has there been a lot of, has there been a lot of Batman Beyond stuff in Gotham Academy? Uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, what it could be. Like, I would have to go through and reread and look for details. It, it could be in the headmaster's office, because he has a lot of, uh, different little things. But I feel like I do remember some sort of McGinnis be mentioned early on in I the do, run. I, I remember that, too. Yeah, so th- that could certainly be what it is. But there there are a lot of Easter eggs throughout. That that book is chock full of Easter eggs. All right. And then the, the one last thing I just want to randomly bring up is that there was a thing that happened on September 29th. This is going back to the last episode. But there was a point where uh, Scott uh, Jim Lee was talking about the upcoming Dark Knight 3. And he was asked about All-Star Batman because now that Batman Europa is – Finally coming out, uh, we have the sequel to Dark, or we have this Dark Knight 3 coming out. Of course, people are going to bring up All-Star Batman because it never actually officially ended. Um, and he actually said, Frank is super excited to be working in comics again. It is not going to be his last project for DC. I would love to get back on All-Star Batman Robin and close it out. He's got a great ending to the story and a really cool final scene that was described to me that is just classic. You know, when I worked on All-Star Batman Robin, I was just coming off of maybe four or five years on, of just working on Batman. I just kind of hit a wall with it. Uh, but now that I've taken a break from it, and certainly while working on Batman Europa, it'll be kind of cool to jump back on and finish it. Uh, at the end of the day, you really want a nice trade and collection edition that tells the whole story, and I would love to finish it. That'd be <laughs> fantastic. Now, at the Dark Knight 3 panel at New York Comic Con... 
uh, somebody asked Frank Miller, who was in attendance at the panel, if All-Star Batman was happening, and his exact words were, we're working on it now. So, it's entirely possible that All-Star Batman and Robin could be a project that we see late 2016, early 2017. Um, I think that's entirely possible. It, 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 okay, mm, this kind of rankles me. A couple things. <laughs> this, this really irritates me. A couple things. One, this would be a prequel to Dark Knight. Returns, wouldn't it? Like, isn't them kind of thought? Uh, yeah, I guess way. even in the same universe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I mean, he's kind of more of a an ass in this one. Um, but are they just going to seriously? What? What? What was the last issue published? Ten? Was that it? Yeah, I believe ten. Are they just going to roll issue number eleven? What? And if it does, will that be the single longest gap between two issues of a comic book being published? It might be. It might like be. ten years. Um, it's. It, I don't know. To me, it's just. I know you're. By the way. You're 1,000% right. It's almost certainly going to come out. I just can't believe that they're just going to pick it up 10 years later and be like, what? Here's issue number 11. What are you complaining about? You know, like, I don't know. just seems weird. It's already an absolute. It's already been collected. Like, this isn't personal, obviously. But if you've already bought that, now you have to go back and buy the other one because it didn't have so. And in that remark, it is personal because. Yeah, that's personal. I have one. Yeah. So it's like, come on. But, uh, I mean, I think it will happen. Um, but. You know, I, I think we'd all just kind of resigned ourselves to that story being over. So, but I guess it's going to happen. I'll, and I'll read it, of course, because I'm, I'm dumb like that. I'll read it. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm sure that it will happen. Um, you know, we broke news years ago when we first, the very first year we went to San Diego Comic Con, we broke news that Jim Lee was saying that there was, you know, there was that massive spread that focused on the Batcave. And I believe it was like issue three or four. It's been so long, I can't remember. But there was this massive spread that showcased <clears throat> the Batcave and all kinds of Batmobiles. It was like a five-page sp- spread that like folded out of the book. And Jim Lee had said at that time, because we asked him about All-Star, because at that point it was like two years since the last time there was an issue. And at that point, it was not unheard of to have a ridiculously long delay between books. Sure. Because that was DC's mentality at the time. We asked him and he actually had said, we've got this massive Gotham City skyline, uh, that we're gonna, that we're planning on doing that's gonna be another foldout. And at the time, nobody else had reported. We reported it. A lot of people caught on to our report. It's probably still in the archives for comic news. But, uh, what's really interesting about that is, you know, that obviously never actually happens. So that could be something that could be part of the future issues as well. So. And if they do this, last point, I know we're not, Jim Lee better be the artist, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if they're going to finish this with the last two, three, four issues, Jim Lee better finish it. I don't want to see this, and against no artist that would be put on it, but you can't have, come back and finish and have a different artist. Just, no. Unless no. they change the name of the series and they added a co-writer, that would be the only way. Yeah, but if they just keep this as All-Star Batman and Robin by Frank Miller and it's the last two or three issues... They gotta keep the same artist. Have to, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, that would be terrible. It'd be just, it would be a waste of time for them to do that. But that is all of our news. We're gonna get straight into our comic book reviews, and the very first one we have is Batman. Batman number 45, writer Scott Snyder, artist Greg Capullo. This story opens up where we left off at the end of Batman number 43 from a couple months ago. Um, with Jim trapped in the furnace. Uh, through some quick thinking, he manages to make his escape and takes on the thugs who are waiting for him. We then see that Julia is safe and back on the airship, 
and they send the robo suit down to act as a partner using a kind of rudimentary AI system. So the suit actually fights uh, alongside uh, Jim. And we cut back to Bruce and Julie Madison, and we see that they are back at the clinic where all of the Joker stuff from the parade and Endgame is left. It's kind of like an abandoned lot there. Uh, it's tarped up and kind of forgotten. Um, Bruce talks about the fact that he goes to Wayne Manor sometimes, even tries on his old suits, and he sees that, you know, there was something else going on there, that the, the man presented in Wayne Manor only seems like a facade, and that he must have had a mission, but one that he doesn't, you know, knows exists anymore. Uh, Jim then has a meeting with Jerry, the CEO of Powers Corporation, where she tells him that things have been, have been a real mess recently, and she wants him to quit as Batman, but that she will let him pick the next one. Uh, we then see Duke Thomas break into the lab where Daryl, one of the assistants on Jim's team, is working on fixing up the Batman suit. Uh, he shows him the Mr. Bloom seed that he stole from the shelter that where Jim left it with Bruce and asks for his help. He then offers Daryl a Robin patch, and Daryl tells him that Batman no longer needs a Robin, and Duke says that Robin may not need a Batman anymore. Uh, we then see that Bruce is now turning what the Joker left behind into a playground and says that these are trophies not to be feared. Uh, back at the with Jim, we see him at the press conference where they've got the robo-bat suit out there with presumably someone else in it. Um, and they're kind of making this this big press announcement when we see the, the Batman airship come crashing in and Mr. Bloom comes out using his uh, thorn power thing. Uh, he kills a lot of people and he tells them the party is just getting started. Just two quick questions here. One, do you think Jim has been so bad as Batman that the Powers Corp would want to replace him? Good question. Uh, the answer is no. I mean, we have even had Jim in the bat suit for six months. It, they, they literally said that they had him training for three months. He's been maybe in the bat suit for less than a month in, you know, comic book time. Yet somehow he's done a horrible job because one mission went haywire and he, you know, in the, and there was damage and, you know, whatever. But, to me, it just doesn't make any sense as to why they would want him out of the suit. Now, what's really weird about it is earlier in the issue where the bat suit on its own was going to Gordon and they said, oh yeah, it's, uh, it's basically a remote thing. You know, we give it orders and it's basically like a, a sential suit. Basically, it's, it, you know, it has a mind of its own. It, it calculates things on its own. The first thing I came, I thought of is Robocop. But then I thought of, well, huh, if this isn't foreshadowing something horrible coming, I don't know what is, because why would they randomly bring this in? And then a couple totally. pages later, there she's saying, you need to resign as Batman. You know, we don't want you in the suit anymore. You can pick the next one. And then at the end of the issue, we have the suit seemingly not having anybody in it, just doing stuff. So I'm wondering to myself if this was the ploy all along. Gordon was in the suit for a very short amount of time. But as we all predicted from the very beginning, the Powers Corporation is corrupt, and they are basically looking to just basically fight crime with robot suits. Yeah, I my first response to it was, I don't trust this at all. I think it was too convenient for, you know, now to be the time that, um, she basically says we need to give it up. And I thought it was a little too on the nose, that scene where, where she says, this is where you find out, you know, my evil plan. And I thought it was funny because clearly, you know, she was joking, but I thought to myself, I really do think this woman, like deep down, there's something going on. She may be a little sinister. So it's funny that that whole scene starts off with that. And then she says, you've got to give it up because, 
he has he's been in in the suit for such a short amount of time. Yes, he's undergone training, but the real training we all know since we're Batman fans, the real training is in action on the streets. And I think, you know, as any realistic and a hero that you want to read about, they're not going to be super perfect right away. There are going to be some bumps that, you know, he's got to get over some mistakes. And I think overall that he's done a good job. Yes, there's been, you know, this learning curve, but it's going to be the same for anyone that they put in that suit, even if he trains them. And I think that to get rid of him is also to make the suit vulnerable and the city vulnerable. So I think there is some sort of scheme going on because Jim is, as we know, just from his history, just a really clean guy and always wanting to clean up Gotham and he's not going to be swayed by anything. So if you put in some sort of rookie, you know, in quotes, uh, and you take away that the advantage of being a veteran, I think a lot of stuff can go haywire and it opens up a lot of potential or possibilities for bad things to happen. And I think that's something that she wants to happen, or at least that's what I see. Uh, but I do like, you know, he, he didn't really want this job. And so it's funny now that even though he didn't want it in the beginning, he went back and forth and talked with people that now I feel like he's gotten so accustomed to it that he doesn't want to leave it. And, and Dustin, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, it, that it's, it's a sentient, you know, being now potentially, and that's also dangerous. And I think we saw that in Batgirl as well, because when he was with Batgirl in that construction zone, he stepped out of the suit and said, you know, powers, like it watches everything he does. It has all of this control. And so only if he's outside of it, can he ha- sort of have free will uh, or the potential for that. And, and I think just the suit in general connected to Powers Corp and, and all of that is it's really dangerous. And I think some stuff is about to happen and it's beginning now. This is sort of the point that it starts. Sorry for yes. that long. No. <laughs> I, I think you guys are, are right in the nose there. I think that that's definitely what they're trying to show us is the suit's going to become its own enemy, maybe the own enemy type deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think Jim has been as terrible as all that. Um, I mean, he's done a lot of good. He stopped a lot of things. So yeah, I think that we're seeing some other motivations here. And I think next issue is probably when we'll really see this kind of, kind of kick off a little bit more. Uh, uh, I, I, I have to say though, you know, the problem is that, you, you know, you made a comment, you're like, oh, the, the suit itself could become the enemy. But realistically, if Bruce isn't Batman and Jim only has access to the Bat stuff that the Powers Corporation provides him, who's actually going to come in and take out the suit? Like, how is Jim? Jim doesn't have the tech skills to be able to do that. I mean, I guess Julia could be part of it. And that's why we find out she was planted because they thought all along that she was you know, that, that the Powers Corporation was was corrupt. But how does Jim become the hero in this situation? Well, I could, don't think he could. Well, could, so couldn't you see a very real possibility with with all this stuff going on with Bruce? And he's talking about, you know, there used to be this mission, and we saw in the annual that what, what Riddler then tell him is that you were helping Batman. Couldn't we see where Bruce maybe thinks that that's what he was doing the whole time and ends up becoming the brains behind Gordon's Batman for a while? Finds the Batcave, lets him in, gives him all of his old tech. and But he has to know that it all is all there. That's the problem. Well, he does, doesn't he seem to be playing around with the idea, though? Like, he's starting to realize that there was a mission. Well, I think know? there's something. I mean, they're definitely they're definitely putting it out there that he he's starting to put two and two together. But, 
I, I like, I'd be all for Bruce being the brains and, you know, and Jim doing that, but it would also need to be revealed then to Jim that Bruce Wayne actually was Batman, which is one of those things that everyone's like, how could Jim not know this after all these years? But maybe they'll finally do it and tell him. I think, I think that they, I think that could be where we're going. And then I think when the status quo, if, if Bruce ever does become Batman again, and well, he will, but in the short term, um, then I, then I kind of wonder if, you know, would this be the new relationship with Jim? Just now we know Joker knows Bruce Wayne. I mean, that was conclusively put to bed in Endgame, right? Um, maybe that'll just be part of the new narrative. Um, and I'd be okay with that, which kind of ties on to the next question, which is Bruce seems to be recognizing what's going on again. I mean, he realizes in the scene where he talks about, well, these are trophies. Well, remember the Joker stole Bruce's trophies and rode him down the street in a parade. Yep. Um, so Bruce is starting to recognize some very, you know, he realized there was a mission. He looks at the giant dinosaur and knows that these, these are trophies. Um, not that we think Bruce is going to become Batman. We're all sure Bruce is going to become Batman again, maybe a year, wherever in the future. But where do you think this is going with Bruce in the next couple of issues? And that's kind of what we were just talking about there. Where is Bruce going immediately? Honestly, I couldn't tell you because I feel like every time we have an idea of which direction Sire's going, he gives us a swerve and... And it's like a three month swerve or something. And then it ends up going back to where we thought it was. But it's like three months in between where you're like questioning, Oh, wait, 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 wait. But I, you know, honestly, I feel like they are jumping forward as if they are like Snyder has not been coy about the idea that, you know, there was a lot of people who did not like the idea of Bruce not being in the suit, but still being alive and he he has you know and obviously just reading these issues Bruce has had a part in every single one of these books so if if he knows that maybe he's just moving along further i mean we know that most okay not definitively but we have a suspicion that Bruce will end up being back in the suit by issue 50 i can't see Bruce not being in the suit by the time Batman vs Superman comes out i just don't see that happening but that being said, we have to get to that point where it somehow happens. The other thing is, like, him specifically saying these are trophies, it almost is like something's happening inside of his brain where it's connecting the stuff. Like you said, so I'm wondering if, okay, well, is that is it entirely possible that some of this other stuff is going to start clicking in his head, like we talked about before? I think it's going to, I think it's going to be a slow burn, though. For it to happen, it's not going to all rush back. Oh yeah, I I agree. I, I agree completely. I don't think it's going to rush back at all. It is going to be a completely slow burn because I mean, right now we've still got at least four issues to go before fifty, and that wording that Snyder said where Capullo is leaving after fifty-one leads me to believe that fifty-one is actually going to be that issue that is the end of the story. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So, what part does he play? Uh. I, I think that, yeah, it's all guessing, really, what, what we think is going to happen. And I like the part that he's playing right now, honestly. I like that he's still present in the book, so we're not wondering where is Bruce Wayne the entire time, because I feel like that's what we would think if we didn't see his face. I like that he has some semblance, some semblance of a normal life, um, you know, that Alfred is not frantically running around trying to stitch him up with one hand and you know it's just like Bruce Wayne as Bruce Wayne he's got somewhat of a healthy relationship he's trying to work through stuff and I think that's always in the back of his mind just you know who is he but 
it's an enjoyable experience, I think, to see him. And I know that people out there want him as Batman. I, I understand that. I like him as Batman, too. But this is nice to see him just as Bruce Wayne, sort of a what-if or an Elseworlds situation. You know, what if Bruce Wayne and Batman exist in the same world at the same time? Um, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just wanted to continue on the same path that he continues working as he's working. He continues with Julie Madison because we know that when he gets back in the suit, that relationship is done. So, so <laughs> well, you know that it's not going to end well. Yeah, so she'll be dead least, in six months. Yeah, she'll be dead. Yeah. I'm sure of it. That's Are you one serious? thing that guarantees oh, that she'll oh. be dead. Put it on the board. Yeah, dude, she's that totally going to bite. See, yeah. that's exactly why. We we need to delay him getting back in the outfit until. until I think they might actually let him get married and then kill her. Oh my heavens! Like a yeah, James Bond like, situation. Yeah, I, I think for sure the odds for her to be dead by the end of Snyder's story no. is like <laughs> ten to one for sure. Um, then be married and then she gets killed. That's like eh, twenty five to one probably. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's just going to take a while for him to get back in the suit. And I appreciate that. And, you know, we know that it's going to happen because, you know, if you've read Batman Beyond, the recent one was at number five, um, where the top, where Babs is telling, uh, Tim about the suit and that Bruce made adjustments to it, you know, once he got it back, obviously, clearly it's going to happen. Um, even if that issue didn't exist, but yeah. And I think it deserves to take a while. If you want something to make an impact and to have a good reason for happening, I don't think you can do it really quickly. You've got to have a little bit of time, and so I'm fine with it right now. Um, I, you know, it's, it's kind of it's kind of funny because I think in the next few issues, I, I think we're going to see, and this is some cheating by looking at solicitations, but I do think that there is going to be um, this relationship between Bruce and Jim that's going to go somewhere. Um, I, I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but I think that Jim all of a sudden being removed from Powers Corp. If he is, I think that they're going to find some way to, to to make these two. Because Snyder does this a lot. We have two stories that are that have crossed a little bit, but they're kind of running in their own direction with Bruce and one with Jim. And I think that those two stories are going to become merged in the next couple of issues, and we're going to see those two working together. Uh, it could be with, like I said earlier, Bruce as a as an advisor, or or who knows. But I, I think that that's that's the way we're we're going right now, and I'm um, looking forward to the next issue. All right, so Batman number 45, I'm getting a total of three and a half out of five. Uh, four out of five. I will agree with Dustin Ooh. and give it, I know, right, a three and a half out of five. And Corbin gave it four, so that's going to give Batman number 45 a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 45 of Giants and Men. I have returned to talk about my friend Peter J. Tomasi. So story and words, Peter J. Tomasi. Artist, Marcio Takara. Color, Chris Sotomayor. At the Maharashtra Cricket Stadium in Pune, India, a group of people are watching the match in a box when water starts to rise and move around them. And a water bubble sort of wraps this, all the spectators in the box, their heads in a water bubble, and their eyes pop out. And then the water with the eyes float away and leave several dead bodies behind. At Gotham City, 
specifically in Wayne Manor. Bruce is reviewing old family photographs while Alfred fills in the blanks when the doorbell suddenly rings. And the Justice League are at the door. Trick or treat. And it seems that they need to try to jog Bruce's memory once more because of a major threat that has happened. And Alfred refuses. He's trying to protect Bruce's current state of anonymity. But Bruce appears in the wing and says that he wants to decide for himself. So later, he's alone with Wonder Woman. And he agrees to be wrapped in her lasso of truth, since it seems that he helped the League on a few occasions. So he agrees that he can be a little guinea pig. So she asks what he knows about the League and his involvement, but he doesn't know slash remember anything. And the Justice League take this as a good hint to not involve him and finally agree that the Bruce Wayne that they knew is gone. Elsewhere, a badly beaten Jim Gordon, uh, perhaps from the Batman issue, puts on his civvies and watches a neighborhood baseball game, reflecting that this is the reason why he fights for Gotham. Suddenly he gets noticed that the Bat Blimp is under air assault by some F-15s and he need, and Batman is needed. The suit is now retrofitted with rockets to allow flight and it picks him up as he is running. So it beats him and picks him up and brings him to the air show. So Batman is going up against some of these F-15s and he notices that there is a device attached to the top of the pilot's heads. He breaks the pilots out, and then Wonder Woman suddenly comes onto the scene, and she destroys the planes. And then the rest of the Justice League stay to deal with the, the F-15s, while Batman goes to find Jervis Ketch, a.k.a. the Mad Hatter, Joy. whom I believe was in a story several issues ago in the Buccio Manipool run. And now he has returned. Uh, but it seems that he was hired by somebody to destroy the Bat Blimp and the new Batman. Batman then receives a message to meet the Justice League, and once there, they ask him to join because there's a void on the team, which his years of experience, not to mention the suit, of course, could help fill. And after some attempt to say no, he finally agrees, and they slap a transportation chip on him and take him to a snowy tundra. So that was quick, wasn't it? Next, blood on blood. Okay, (laughs) here's my multi-part question. Um, so it's funny because we talked about this with Batman and Robin, which of course Peter J. Tomasi had written before. But my first question is involving scale. And it's two parts, yes. So number one, do you think it's too big for a detective comics book? You remember we were just talking, we're focusing on Bullock. It's really a Batman book. Is it too big to bring the Justice League in the book? And, as a little follow-up to that, do you think it's reasonable to have Jim Gordon on the Justice League? The first part of it is, is it believable or is it okay to have the Justice League in this book? Is the book too small for the Justice League? I don't think so. And the reason why is because if if you read Justice League or you read Justice League of America or any of the other books that are outside of the normal group of books that we cover – Justice League's not being affected by the fact that Bruce isn't in the Batsuit anymore. So if Detective Comics is the only place where we're going to be able to see the Justice League's reaction or, you know, dealings with this new Batman in Jim Gordon, I'm all for it and I'm fine with it. Now, Jim Gordon being part of the Justice League, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't want to dismiss Jim in any way by saying that he's not worth it, you know, he's not worthy of being part of the Justice League. But I don't think that Jim is nearly on the same level of being a detective as Batman is. 
just by itself. I mean, a lot of people would probably argue with me, but I mean, come on, he still hasn't figured out who Batman is after all these years. Even if it's an unsaid thing and he does know, you would think that he could have figured out that his daughter's Batgirl. I mean, like, there's just these little things, like, that are very small but are very big in the large scheme of things that if he hasn't figured it out, he can't be that great of a detective. So just to have, for the Justice League to sit there and say, hey, we need a detective, we we could use you, that's fine. But you would think that somebody on the team outside of, you know, the this, you know, Jim Gordon, new Batman, you would think that someone on this team would be able to be like, maybe we could solve this by ourselves or turn to somebody else from the DC extensive history. Who's a great detective (coughs) question, but you know, who knows? No, I don't think that the characters are too big. Uh, I, now I do agree. It's a radical departure from the Bullock and Montoya grounded stories we were getting before. This is certainly a whole, whole different level of storytelling. Um, but I don't think it's too big. I, I think that this is necessary in, in a lot of ways. Um, certainly there is other detectives to turn to, but Jim that Gordon is a, is a pretty good detective. He's had a, he's had two major blind spots in his life. One is that Bruce Wayne is Batman, which full disclosure. So is everyone else in the universe to figure this out too. Um, and the second thing is that his son's, a terrible human being. So these have been his two major oh. blind spots. You know, I mean, he's kind of missed that on a few occasions. Um, but I think if you're ever going to have uh, the Jim Gordon Batman stand on his own and be a part of the larger DC universe, he's got to interact with the Justice League. And he has to show that he can hold his own because if he's going to be Batman, and I know we all think Bruce Wayne will be Batman again in six to eight months, but if he's not, and, and even Jim's just going to be Batman for a year or two years, he has to be able to interact with the bigger DC universe, which means Batman, if this is going to be Batman and this is what we are supposed to believe, then Batman's got to be with the Justice League because he's Batman and he's on the Justice League. So, yeah, I think that this is almost a necessity to tell the story. I I don't like it as much. Now, I, I'm not going to say that this book wasn't enjoyable because I did enjoy it, but I, I think, you know, We've got the Batman title, which obviously should focus on Batman. I think this detective title, as it had begun to be, really focusing on the GCPD, maybe some of their interactions with Batman. I think that's where it should really focus. And then I think that's the fatal flaw in this continuity bubble that DC created is that they should have created the team or had that team impacted by what happened with Endgame. And so there should not be a Bruce Wayne on the Justice League right now, but it should be Jim Gordon. I think it should be in that Justice League book. So I honestly think that, um, yes, it's a departure, but I think we should have just stayed with, you know, I I felt like I I liked the scale that it was at. I liked that we were at ground level. So we had just two very different um, bat books going on. One was kind of the the human side. One was the the hero side. but yeah, it's, I think it's, you also, you, you're right, Ed, that I think, you know, because we have a Batman, there should be a Batman on the Justice League. And I think that's an interesting creative direction to go. But uh, I also think that it's, um, 
Ooh, it's intense. This reminds me of the whole stuff that we had with Apocalypse when we were super concerned about, you know, what's it going to be like for all these depowered humans to go and, and, and try to get Damien's body back. I mean, we're basically here on this flip side because you got this depowered human. He's in a suit, just like Bruce was, and then up against or with all these other people on his team and, and fighting big threats. Is, is that is that going to work out? Now, it did work out for Bruce, but will it work out for Jim? And I think he is... Um, a little bit of a fish out of water, but I honestly just think there was a big mistake to have it in this book and not have the continuity carry over with the actual Justice League title and have Jim there. But that's just, I guess, my grievance. No, no, I think you're right. Just telling you that I, I would much rather have seen it in the Justice League book. But the problem is Jeff Johns is doing his own thing over there, and he's yeah. still got Bruce Wayne as Batman. You know, so I think that if we were going to see him in, in the Justice League, I don't. Not that I, I think you're right. I really wish it was rather in Justice League, but since yeah. they refused to do it over there, I guess this is the only place that they felt like they could do it. If that makes any sense. Uh, and my final question is in regards to the magic lasso scene. Uh, now we know that this is a pretty powerful uh, sh- hempen hempen item. <laughs> Spring of rope. I don't yeah. know. I was trying to be like super flowery in my language, but it didn't work out because. It was not able to break through anything, really, um, that he clearly does not either know or remember. Do you have any new guesses as to who or what Bruce is? Or does it really not change anything for you? I don't know that it would change anything. I mean, it's been shown multiple times in Snyder's run, at least, that he doesn't have any memories and he doesn't want to know the past. So the fact that this is, you know, able to pull the complete truth and he doesn't have those memories. This is just cementing what Snyder has said. So I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I mean, I guess we could still go on the idea of this is not Bruce Wayne. I don't know if we can even go that route anymore because of how many times they've showed that to not be the case. But I think at this point, it's still Bruce Wayne. He just doesn't have his memories. And I think that's the, what we have to live with at this point. Yeah, I, I just agree with 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 Dustin, with Dustin there. I don't think that I think that they're almost going out of our way to tell us that you know this is it. Um, I guess this is just the same. I don't think he's lying. Uh, I just don't think he's got them back yet. Yeah, well, I guess I just wondered since it is such a powerful tool, you know, forged by the gods potentially, wouldn't it be able to break through any block that he had? And so I'm wondering if there's not just a block; it's just not there, and that this is somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we brought that up before about right. maybe this is a clone and it's not the real Bruce Wayne. And that would explain completely why not only would he not have the memories, but he also would not have those memories just being blocked within his brain. Um, but the problem is like as much as I, it would still be a, you know, thinking about back in July when we first talked about the fact that there was most likely a, a clone and then the next issue came out and it was like, well, here's the clone machine he was working on, but it's not finished yet. So basically they dismissed the idea of it being a clone with that few pages that it occurred in. That being said, you would have to think that if it ends up being a clone, it's a huge swerve, which is so funny because in the last review, I just sat there and said that Snyder does these swerve things that last a couple months and then you comes right back to what you think it is. So, I don't know. I, I, what 
we're being shown in the books, I can't believe it's a clone, but you know, that's not to say that it might not be a clone. I don't think it's a clone. I think that they explained that in the narrative though. Remember, remember when, um, Alfred said that it wasn't Bruce without memories that he had a whole new brain, right? So I, I think that this is just reinforcing what is said in the narrative, which is also makes it even that more puzzling. If we have to go on the assumption, and Stella has a good point here, that if, if it was any way for him to remember it, the lasso probably would have brought it out. We, I think this is reinforcing what Snyder said in his story, which is, guys, I told you he didn't just lose his memories. You know? Like, so I, if that's the case, then I think that this could be, this story could be going somewhere very unexpected. I think the fact that we now know Snyder's on past 50 means that this story could be going on a lot longer than we thought it could. Alright, so Detective Comics number 45, I'm giving it a total of 3 out of 5 batterings. Uh, 3 and a half out of 5. Three and a half out of five. Yes. All right. And over on the website, Corbin gave it four. That's going to give Detective Comics number 45 a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next books, uh, Batman Eternal number one and two. Uh, if you didn't, I, I can't remember if I explained this on the last episode, but because the Eternal is a weekly book and there's not always a ton that happens in each individual book, we're going to be covering these in conjunction. So issue one and two we're going to cover in conjunction, uh, but we will give each book its own rating when it comes to that point of the, of the review. But uh, I'm going to run through the recap of both books at the same time in order just to save a little bit of time. So... Batman Robin Eternal number one, written script by James Tanyan the fourth, art by Tony Daniel. The issue starts off with Dick Grayson chasing a villain up the side of a building in Gotham City. Uh, this is for Spiral, of course. When all of a sudden he calls in some, he calls in some help, and Jason Todd appears and helps him take out this villain. Um, as uh, the villain crashes his bike. Uh, Red Robin appears, and he also helps Dick take out this this villain. Then Dick says, well, I've got to take off. i got some super secret spy stuff to take care of, and he dives off the building. Uh, in the Narrows, we see the uh, Jim Gordon Batman in his bat suit. He is chasing down Harper Rowe. And he finds her and says, you're going to, you're going to give up your costume. We don't want kids being killed. That's not, there's no need for that anymore. So give up the costume. Uh, she actually ends up using another device to make his suit unable to be, unable to move. And then she g- gets away. Meanwhile, on the other side of Gotham, uh, we see Dick meet up with, uh, he's at a charity event or a grand opening and it appears that his uh, partner Poppy is in the car and they're talking about what's actually happening. It's the grand opening of the Gotham State University Tower of Enlightenment. Uh, so he's there and he's looking at a bunch of things and he's reminded of the first encounter he had uh, with a supervillain and it was Scarecrow. Um, then... Uh, we get a little bit of a recap how Scarecrow, it, because he, at Gotham State University, this is where they first dealt with Scarecrow, and a number of the grad students, part of uh, Crane's class, they actually were dressed up as Scarecrows and went against Batman Robin uh, in Robin's first time against Supervillain. Meanwhile, they he back to the present, he is approached by a number of children who says, Dick, you started it all. 
That's why she thought it would be perfect to kill you. Um, he's completely confused. He's trying to get information from Poppy, but the comms are going out. They all pull guns on him, and he decides he's going to jump through a window. As he heads back to the vehicle to meet up with Poppy, he removes his disguise into his, you know, is is exposing his uh, spiral outfit. He gets the vehicle open and Poppy pulls a gun and says, nope, sorry, there wasn't any other way. And uh, she says, mother says hello. He ends up getting shot in the shoulder, but it just grazes him. He steals the bike out of the car and gets away. Poppy radios into someone named Orphan, saying the target escaped. Um, this Orphan person is watching from above and says Orphan is en route. We then see Dick speeding through Gotham City on the bike, when all of a sudden someone in a black and yellow outfit comes after him, which we are led to believe is Cassandra Kane, even though it's not definitively said. Uh, but it's Cassandra Kane, and she very she doesn't say a whole lot of anything, but she's very good at what she does and takes Dick out very quickly. Um, he says, "I know that you're what you're doing. I'm a, I'm a really good fighter, and I know exactly what you're doing. Most of your moves are lethal, but you're holding back. Why?" She just says, "Mother," and he says, "Mother, mother, who?" And are you are you the orphan? And she says, "No," and hands him a bat flash drive. And then she disappears. So then across town, we see Harper Row getting back to the apartment where she talks with Cullen. Cullen's playing some video games and she, and uh, Cullen's explaining that Stephanie's not very happy that she took off without her. Um, and then all of a sudden we see Orphan appear in Harper Row's apartment saying, Just an orphan, but you are the key to everything and they cannot know. And that is why you must die. <laughs> We then see Dick going into the back cave. He accesses the back computer, puts in the flash drive, and we see a number of lists, a list that's called Mother's Children Must Be Terminated Before Phase 3. And a huge list including Richard Grayson, Jason Todd, Timothy Drake, Harper Oak, Cassandra Kane, and a number of other characters. If you want to do the, if you want to do the research, some of them I, I've seen their names. Like I said earlier, Jean-Paul Valley. Uh, his name also seems to appear on that list. Maybe we need to put our, our good Don on this to, to figure out who these characters are. Um, but uh, we then see uh, a hologram of Batman appear, and he basically explains to Dick, he says, This is my confession. Horrible things have happened. The mother cannot be stopped. I have failed all of you, and I have spent so long hoping that you would never find this out. Uh, please stay alive, and please forgive me. And that is basically it. And Dick says, Bruce, what did you do? We then see Cairo, Egypt, several years ago, where a boy is leaving a theater and his parents are gunned down outside the theater. And uh, the person who guns them down says, it's me, it's done. And the person on the other end says, the child is ready for acquisition, acquisition then. And he says, yes, mother, everything went according to plan. As it's revealed that the person who shot the parents is none other than Batman holding a smoking gun. All right. So that was issue one. Now let's go into issue two. Issue number two, written script by Tim Seeley, art by Paul Pelletier. Uh, we start off with Orphan, who has been beating the heck out of Harper Row. Um, and Cassandra Kane bursts through the door, or the window, I should say, and starts making quick use of Orphan, ends up bashing his mask that he has wearing, that he's wearing on his face, 
and then he gets thrown out of the window as Dick Grayson's pulling up. Dick ends up calling uh, Helena Bertinelli and says, listen, what's the deal? Check this out. She, he, she basically says there's no no knowledge of anybody named Mother or Orphan. We don't know what you're talking about. And she says, okay, well, uh, if that's the case, then uh, he, he says, i got to figure out what's going on. I'm pulling my comms, and I'm losing my uh, hypnos, uh, Grayson, out. And then he jumps up the fire escape, to which Stephanie Brown, who's carrying some groceries back to the apartment, sees him and says, kiss me, sexy Batman. Then we see uh, the fight continuing out uh, inside the apartment as Orphan is going after Cassandra. Uh, then uh, Harper Rowe ends up grabbing her taser gun and shoots the fire escape the same time Orphan is holding it, which fries him and makes him fall. Dick Grayson ends up grabbing him. Orphan, in turn, bashes Dick Grayson in the face, jumps onto his motorcycle and takes off. Uh, Dick gets up and finds Harper Rowe and says... Are you okay? And he says, you're not supposed to know, or Harper says, you're not supposed to know my name. That's my, I'm supposed to be Bluebird. And he says, like, you're a superhero too? How many superhero teens are running around Gotham these days? And then all of a sudden, spoiler bursts in the room and says, back up, spoiler, you're gonna get, you're gonna gargle teeth. Uh, so then, uh, he says they must be giving out costumes and cereal boxes now. After finding out exactly what's going on and, uh, they, they, and them realizing who he is, that he's Dick Grayson and he used to be Nightwing, um, we hear, we, they, they smell something in the air and it smells as if, or they recognize it as fear gas. Um, then we get a flashback of Gotham several years ago where Batman and Robin are climbing or walking through a, Cornfield, where they see someone make crop circles that aren't circles but letters that spell I am fear. Uh, Batman is calling Crane saying, you're a psychiatrist, you were trusted, why did you do this? And Crane pops out and sprays both of them in the face. Uh, the fear that Robin ends up dealing with is the fact that he's not good enough to deal to be Batman's partner and that he is afraid of all of the villains and Batman and Robin is so sad that he wasn't good enough to be Batman's partner. We cut to the present time where uh Stephanie is being told by Dick that uh the 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 point is I need to know your name. She says my name's Stephanie Brown. He goes, Good, you're not on the list. And then all of a sudden Red Robin appears and Red Robin says, I heard I figured something was up because I have sensors and cameras set around the apartment. They're like, oh, are you kidding me? You're, and he says, relax, I'm not a peeping Tom. I just wanted to make sure you guys didn't get into trouble because you always seem to do it. Uh, then, uh, we find out that, uh, there's something going on. There's, uh, they try to get a hold of Jason Todd because they're trying to get in touch with everybody that is on the list. And Tim calls Jason and says, hello, there's an assassin and they might be coming after you. He says, an assassin, you don't say, what does she look like? As we see that he has a gun pointed to the head of Cassandra Kane. Next up, Pain and Kane. I gotta say, I thoroughly enjoyed these first two issues. Uh, very action-packed. There was not any kind of lull moment in any of, in either one of the issues. Um, so Cassandra Kane, that's the big thing I think in both of these issues. Cassandra Kane returns to the Batman universe. Um, what did you guys think of Cassandra Kane? How do you think she was portrayed well? Do you think that? I mean, we still don't know a lot about her, but based on the two issues that we are talking about here, how do you think her initial appearance was? I like it. I mean, 
if you, if you if you remember back to No Man's Land with uh, Cass originally uh, as Batgirl, uh, she doesn't she wasn't very talkative, so that's not out of character. I mean, she says, well, I think she only says mother, you know, um, and no, and no, yeah. yeah. I mean, so this kind of fits. Uh, she's not supposed to be a chatty Kathy, um, so I, I like it. She's she's shown to she has obviously more of a killer's background, but she's not a killer. I mean, when Dick talks about the, you know, I know you can, but you're backing off. Um, I like her costume, too. It's very Black Bat, very original Batgirl, black and gold, you know? Um, again, we have, we don't get to see a lot. We don't get to see how different her backstory may or may not be um, or, or, or what her motivation is for doing this. It seems like she is maybe linked with Batman at some point. Maybe there's a, a backdoor Batman Inc. thing here somewhere, um, but maybe not. Uh, but from what we see, I like it. Um, it's a very good first impression, and although we don't get to learn that much about her, she does feel like Cass. Yeah, I would say that stays pretty faithful to her actual character. Um, you know, having read No Man's Land, having read her entire Batgirl series, uh, and of course, you know, let's just ignore when she's the villain later on. What? But <laughs> yeah, when did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Never happened. I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah I think it was a race from continuity somehow. Um, yes, yeah. it was a race because Josh Lappin Bertoni told us to use that story as toilet paper. That's what <laughs> that's what happened. Okay. I remember it very, very, very definitively. Sounds good. Um, so that's where the Sharon gets a double roll from. It's because part of the <laughs> role it's from <laughs> the Batgirl series. Uh, but anyways, to get back on topic, um, yeah, absolutely. I'm. You know, I'm still somewhat shocked that she's talking at all because, you know, when she initially was introduced, she didn't really know how to speak because her language or all of her faculties that she would normally use or we would normally use to speak, she was using it to identify the language of, you know, people's bodies. And and that's why she was so masterful. So I was almost expecting, you know, there's going to be mute mute issue. And I was excited about it. Now, I I don't think that this is a far cry from it because yes, she only speaks twice. It's very curt, gets the point. Um, So I think that's good. And I think that there's probably still some, some sort of uh, thing there that, you know, she can, Move so quickly, and that's what I love about the art is that when she's battling Dick, you see these red circles that are focusing on these pressure points or the points that she's about to hit, um, which continues throughout that that little uh, dance that they do. And he even remarks, you know, how are you able to move so quickly? So I think that uh, through that, you're able to really get to get to know her, and and I think that um, her past and and how she reads people's body languages and her training is kept sacrosanct. So I'm very happy about that. I also think uh, when we're talking about the the guy orphan, I guess, um, the way he's talking about her past, it seems to me like um, sort of the, the, the really tricky and damaging relationship between David Kane, her father, and her is still present in her in her past just the way that he was talking and and all that and you know he used to play what was that two uh two shots for oh you get shot if you flinch right but he used to play with a gun so yeah i i I just think that you really have to have the knowledge and the background of cast to to see these little subtleties but from what i saw just her fighting ability 
how she's moving and how she's acting. Uh, I really think that it's spot on. And I think for fans of Cats that have been waiting so long, I feel like they hopefully were not disappointed in, in that, you know, they're making homages to certain things. So I'm, I'm super happy and I'm just hoping that, you know, these first two issues aren't an anomaly and that it continues on this path and that she remains or she finds her place in the, the DC. Uh, post Flashpoint universe. I agree. I, I, I enjoyed her, you know, her, this initial appearance in these first two issues. I think that, you know, issue one where she basically is just presented as this, you know, obviously she's a girl who randomly appears. She has connections to Batman somehow because she has that flash drive that she gives Dick Grayson, but she is a skilled martial artist, which they get across very well. They get across that she, is a, is a woman of very few words, which they get across very well. So I think they nailed the character really well in the first issue. And the second issue, it, she just, she clearly is going to be involved in the story, as they have said in multiple interviews, because second issue, she's going after Orphan because Orphan is attacking Harper Row. Um, she could be this character who has always exist, uh, you know, we don't know exactly how this character exists within the New 52 slash post-Flashpoint, whatever you want to call it, but the reality of it is, this character could just exist and nobody just, nobody knows who it is, but Batman knew all along who she was, and she was working with Batman, but in secretive, or, you know, stuff like that, so... I, I enjoyed it, I have nothing against it. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is... There, well, it's, it's, it's more of a, the reveal of Mother, we don't know who it is, but Mother is the, the main villain that's obviously gonna be part of the story. And we have this character, Orphan, and then we see, in the first issue, we see Batman supposedly killing some parents, and the idea behind it is that this Mother person is the direct link behind anybody who's a costume character becoming a costume character by killing their parents. And that is why Harper Rose's parents are gone. We see that, you know, Tim Drake's, Jason Todd's, Dick Grayson's, uh, Cassandra Kane's, I guess, parents are gone too because her name was on the list. All of these people are on the list because their parents were killed and that propelled them to become costumed characters. Whether they're heroes or villains, you know, we, we at least know the main group of characters are heroes, but that's, you know, it's an interesting concept because we, this is something different. You know, this could, we throw a humongous wrinkle into everything we know as, you know, were all of these people actually picked out by someone to basically be with Batman in some way, shape, or form. So thoughts on, on, on the idea of this new, this new character and what this means to the overall history of these characters? Well, I, I think that if this bears out to be true, it would be big, right? Um, the idea that each of these people were... I guess targeted for tragedy as an attempt to make them, uh, you know, heroes or, or forces for a greater good would be a bit of a change as opposed to what's always kind of been a random element. I don't know if that'll stick though. I mean, I, it's, it's one of those concepts that's so big you don't know if they'll actually go with it, you know? Um, but there does seem to be something there. It would be a gigantic shift, uh, if the family was created, which I guess maybe that's why the, the villain's name is Mother, you know, saying that she is, or this person, this this architectural type character was the mother of all of them becoming superheroes. Um, I think that may be what they're trying to do here, and I'm wondering if Tinian is taking a page from the Snyder playbook since they are, you know, have worked together so much with introducing this giant giant concept and asking us if this is real. 
So I, I wonder if in an issue or two, if we're going to be sitting here going, I wonder if this is true, was all of this somebody's plan? Um, and I kind of think that might be where we're going, especially with the um, the villain in the background name of Mother does kind of tie it all together. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's interesting because it just throws everything we've known for years, years, people, you know, for a loop, if this is true, that, you know, everything was connected with, with Dick Grayson and what happened at Haley Circus and uh, Tim Drake. Does Tim Drake count as an orphan, though, if his parents are in the Witness Protection Program? Well, that's if we go by that. <laughs> okay. <story. laughs> um uh, it's funny because I'm reading Prodigal now, so it's like, mm. uh, I mean, it's, but so it's just interesting to see go back and forth between continuities now. Um, and, and so uh, anyways, it throws everything we've known, like it's completely throws it in like the washer machine almost on spin cycle, right? And, and it's crazy, crazy. And I guess that's what they want to do is shake things up. So that's interesting, but I wonder how people are going to feel because, you know, you get sort of used to a certain continuity and that changes. But I think it also, this whole thing very much reminded me of Batman Beyond and, uh, you know, that they were going to use, uh, Andrea Beaumont. Is that her last name? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, set that, oh well, the wall. Well, I guess it's not Batman Beyond, but <laughs> it was at the end of Justice League and it was related to Batman Beyond, but Waller was confessing all this that, you know, she set up, um, the Phantasm to, uh, to kill Terry McGinnis' parents because she felt like that was the way to start it all off and that there needed to be some tragedy, but Andrea didn't want to, but in the end, fate sort of did the whole thing itself. So it almost goes along that, that reason need that, uh, that characters need this tragic backstory to become who they are. And I think that's disappointing, uh, just because I have a problem with that. I, I think it really works for some characters, but there are other characters that, um, uh, I'm just going to throw out Batgirl, for instance. Uh, when post-crisis, when her origin was renewed and, you know, her mother was killed in a, a driving accident and then her father slowly drank himself to death, basically. So then she was an orphan and then adopted. It's just sad that, you know, there can't be characters that have happy, normal lives and they just want to be a hero for some other reason, whether, you know, they're trying to live up to some sort of expectation or they, they want to help out. That's just their character. I don't like that, you know, there's got to be a tragic backstory. So that's a problem I have. It is interesting that we're tying all these people together. And I'm just going to throw out some guesses as to mm-hmm. who these people are. This is issue two, so it could be silly. But when uh, Cass was fighting Orphan, I honestly wondered if Orphan was, in fact, David Kane. And I wondered if Mother could be uh, Lady Shiva. But, you know, those, you know, that's just... I thought me. of that, too. Yeah, yeah, that's just me because I think because Cass plays such a central role, we know this. And, again, that that interaction, the conversation between Orphan and Cass, because he really seemed to know her. My big thing is Mother is, you know, that's like a, eh, maybe a Shiva. But I really think that Orphan may be David Kane. It'll be interesting because the, we've also dealt in the pages of Grayson with the fist of Kane. Mm-hmm, right. They've never really just, they've never really said how the Kane name comes into play. And when they first came out, when Grayson first released and they had, were dealing with the fist of Kane, a lot of people were like, oh, well, maybe Cassandra's going to end up being revealed as part of this. So 
who knows? I mean, we know that the, you know, the, the writers from Grayson are involved in, you know, Seeley's at least involved in Eternal. So there is, you know, there is some sort of connection there. So we'll have to wait and see. But my last question for these two books is, you know, the first two issues of the series, you know, one of the things we, we complained about in, at length for the last volume of Eternal was there was a lot of fluff. And I know this is only two issues in, but I feel like I'm going to ask this question almost every single time we review two issues just to see how much better it is. We know that this is half as long as the previous volume. So my thoughts, I'd like to get your guys' thoughts on these first two issues. I mean, there was plenty of action. I didn't feel like there was really any fluff at all. I mean, obviously there was a couple panels where, you know, Stephanie seeing Dick and saying, kiss me, sexy Batman. I mean, like, <laughs> not entirely needed, what? but it does show the type of character. <laughs> it's true. But so, you know, thoughts on the first two issues and how smoothly or not smoothly it went. I think it went very, very smoothly. I think that this is the only fear. Fear is a strong word. My only fear, I guess, would be is this. If you remember, remember how well Eternal 1, Batman Eternal 1 started off? Like, yes. it started off really good. It was the, because I think that's what happened last time. I think the first four to six issues, you really have a tight, we're trying to do this, this, you know what I'm saying? Um, it wasn't until like, until issue eight or nine where Eternal 1 got off the rails. Um, and I think that what we've seen here is great. The pacing is good. Cassandra's introduced Im- immediately. It's not one of those things where we're sitting here at issue 10 going, well, they said she's coming back. Where is she? You know, like it seems like a very tight storyline. There does seem to be the two different, um, time zones going on here, which is, I think they're both very strong stories. Your fear is always one of them is good. And one of them is crap. You know, and you're always going, oh, come on, go back to the future. You know, you, you want to get out of that. But both, both time zones seem interesting. They do seem like they're going to relate somehow. Um, and this seems like a tight narrative. So I'm very, very happy with it. I'm going to be super curious to see when we get to issue eight, nine, 10, 11 and see if it's still got the same tight narrative. I, and I hope it does because right now it's, it's very good. I agree. Um, I also, I'm a little more optimistic just because there's, half the amount of issues coming out. So I think that because they forced their hand in this manner, that they, uh, they've they really got to keep it succinct and really get to the point. And I like how there's, um, you have to be careful with the going back and forth because that can sometimes be confusing and jarring. Um, I think for the most part, it was okay. I do think the second issue, I had a better time with it. And perhaps it was just because like, I had read the first issue and then right after read the second issue. Um, so I hope it's not going to be like, no, I don't think it will be. I, I was thinking about this, but remember eternal, how there, you know, these different storylines. And then I think specifically the arc of one and the supernatural one, we would touch upon it and then it'd be like a whole month or more, yeah. right? A month before we would touch it again. But I, for right now, I feel like maybe there's just two stories going on. And maybe that'll be good because if it, it'll be really sequential and we will never be confused and we'll always know what happened right before, you know, from week to week. Um, so I, yeah, I honestly thought it was okay. Uh, fast pacing. We've got a little bit of mystery in the past, got a little, and then it connects to the, the present, I guess. And then, uh, yeah, lots of just continuity stuff. So it's interesting because you kind of have to read a bunch of different books to know what's going on in this. Um, cause I feel like this may not necessarily be new reader friendly just because, 
Um, you know, Grayson, you kind of, what, what is he doing? I knew him as Nightwing, you know, so you kind of have to read Grayson to know what's going on there. And then understanding who's spoiler and, and Harper Rowe are from the other eternal. So you just, you may need some knowledge on this, which is what I would recommend. Uh, if there are any readers on there, but for the Steph stuff, I still don't understand the, the uh, characterization of spoiler because it's so different in Catwoman, and so I guess I just want like a you know uh, the, uh, a similar a similar characterization between all the books, but this one was certainly that fun loving Steph that I think we knew in previous continuities because she would definitely say that sort of thing. And then she bursts in and she goes, spoiler alert, you're about to adopt this. So that's totally her. Um, and I look forward to seeing if any interactions between her and Cassandra Kane, because that's just a relationship and friendship that I love and, and something very special in uh Batgirl's book. So, so my thought is, is that I thought it was, it was paced perfectly um, like Ed said, we'll have to wait and see what happens when we get to like issue eight, nine, ten, you know, two months in, how well it's still, is still going. But the other thing that I think is interesting is that both of these issues were actually scripted by two different people, but they flow seamlessly, which I thought was really good. Uh-huh. Tinian did this, the script for the first issue. Seeley did the script for the second issue, but you couldn't even tell that there was a change. Unlike the first volume of Eternal where there was a distinct change in in writing style and story because they did have these different areas that they were focusing on, like the supernatural or the Harper Road, uh, Tim Drake stuff for a while. Those were all focused on by very specific writers instead of all the writers focusing on it. So maybe this group of writers is even more even even more closely knit than the previous group of writers, even though there are some of the same people. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So, Batman Eternal number one, I'm going to give a total of four out of five batterings. Yeah, that sounds right. Four out of five. Uh, I'm going to give one a three and a half out of five. All right, and Ian, one of our new reviewers on the website, he gave it four. So that's going to give Eternal number one a total of four out of five batterings. Batman and Robin Eternal number two, I'm also going to give four out of five batterings. Uh, yeah, to me, four out of five as well. Same quality. And four out of five for me. And over on the website, Ian gave it four, so that's going to give Batman and Robin Eternal number two a total of four out of five batterings as well. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Let's go over to our Spotlight books. So the number of books came out over the past two weeks. First up, we have Batman Beyond number five, reviewed by Jim. He gave it a total of five out of five batterings. In this issue, one of the main things that happens is Tim Drake heads back to the Batcave with Barbara, and Barbara explains how to use this old Batsuit from what we know as the Jim Gordon Batsuit. Um, so that, that happens as they're all facing, they're all waiting to face down Brother Eye in this massive battle. Uh, there's a lot of action that happened in this issue. I'm going to give this issue a thumbs up. Neutral. Thumbs up. All right. Next up, Batman Arkham Knight number nine, covering digital chapters 25 through 27. Reviewed by Ryan, he gave it a total of three and a half out of five. This issue, we deal with Batman dealing with Stag Industries, more specifically their creation of Metamorpho. Nightwing is also involved in this as well. We also find out that uh, Gordon is not very pleased that... Uh, Deadshot is freed out of jail by Amanda Waller, and Penguin and Harley Quinn realize that they have to figure out what they're going to do going forward, because 
dealing with the Suicide Squad probably wasn't the best solution. So I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 Next up, Midnighter, reviewed by Gary. He gave it a total of three and a half out of five. This issue, uh, Midnighter teams up with Dick Grayson to to basically assault a lab to find some stolen God Garden tech. Um, for this issue, I'm going to give a neutral. Thumbs up. Neutral. Next, Batman Superman number 25, reviewed by Bill. He gave it a total of three out of five. In this issue, we don't actually see Batman teaming up with Bat uh, with Superman, but instead we see Batgirl <gasps> coming to team up with Superman as they deal with Vandal Savage. Uh, Savage is going after Superman and Batgirl arrives and saves Superman, which I'm sure a lot of people weren't expecting. The other part of the issue also deals with Dick Grayson and Jason Todd also arriving to help out Superman with Vandal Savage. So Jason and, and Batgirl explains that Superman always had help whenever he needed it. So the three of them are all going to be helping out Superman. So I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Neutral. Next, we have Red Hood Arsenal, number five, reviewed by Jim. He gave it a total of three and a half out of five. This issue deals with uh, kind of what we were dealing with last issue. Red Hood and Arsenal are in Gotham. They're trying to take out Underbelly when they come in contact with Jim Gordon. Jim Gordon, actually, he takes out Underbelly by like killing him and explains, well, we knew that he wasn't a real thing anyway. But then at the end of the issue, we see that Underbelly is actual, actually getting back to, uh, is able to put itself back together. Arsenal ends up taking it out by using an electro- electromagnetic pulse to that Underbelly used in reverse to basically erase him from the existence of the planet. Batman gives Red Hood the, uh, the uh, timeline to get out of town before he arrests him, and they uh, you you would believe that they would oblige, but uh, Jason decides he's going to visit Bruce at the youth center, and Bruce doesn't know who Jason is, but Jason is happy and gives Bruce a hug. So, and then at the very end of the issue, Joker's daughter shows up, and yeah. uh, she actually shoots Roy in the head, assumingly. So, I'm going to give this issue a thumbs up. Thumbs down has Joker's daughter in it. Uh, neutral. Thumbs down for Joker's daughter. Automatic. I know we don't like Instant. Joker's daughter, but the issue was actually really good until Joker's daughter showed up. I'm sending just, a signal just, out Just there. saying that. Just sending a signal. If you put her in there, yes. I'm going to go thumbs down. <laughs> okay. All right. Batmite number five, reviewed by Bill. He gave it a total of two and a half out of five. This issue has Batmite teaming up with uh, the Inferior Five, very obscure characters from back in the day. Um, they are all trying to take out Gridlock. Uh, meanwhile, there's some hooded characters somewhere in the universe that are saying that they need to get Batmite off of Earth because they, they, they he's putting too much he's he's creating too much threats in the universe. Um, so that's the gist of what happened in this one. For this issue, I'm giving a thumbs down. I I almost feel bad giving a thumbs down because I do like the art. But I feel like the story just doesn't have a firm footing on where they need to go. It doesn't have a firm grasp on reality? Is that what you're saying? Well, it's not so much reality because, I mean, like, the issue itself, like, it's some of the stuff is interesting, but I don't care about Inferior 5. Like, the team Batmite with the Inferior 5 just seems so outside the box that... It's not needed at all. I agree. Thumbs down from it, too. Next, Catwoman number 45, reviewed by Gary. He gave it a total of four out of five. The issue starts off with uh, 
Roman Sionis, noticing that Eco looks bruised and he believes that she's Catwoman. We see that Selina goes to the youth center, also where Bruce Wayne is, and she has uh, she has a brief brief conversation with him, but she has he also has no idea who she is. It's funny because it seems like everybody's going to visit Bruce, and nobody knows or he doesn't know who any of these people are. But uh, we see that uh, Eco's penthouse, uh, that Killer Croc tells her that he was taken care of by Catwoman. And Eco believes that uh, Selena will have to take out her revenge. Uh, we see that Penguin locks Catwoman and Black Mask and says one of them has to die. Uh, Selena believes that she kills him, but it's revealed at the end of the issue that he's not actually dead. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side, we see Spoiler uh, talking to Eco. So for this issue, I'm giving a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Uh, thumbs up. Next, Harley Quinn, number 21, reviewed by Gary. He gave it a total of 4 out of 5. In this issue, we see Harley Quinn dealing with dead shots. Uh, we, the, that's basically the gist of it, but they're, they're trying to figure out from the last issue why Deadshot has a contract and why there are these people involved with killing people. Uh, there's a person who actually has a, uh, Batmobile from a movie and he, they're driving around at some point and Harley gets to drive it. So for this issue, I'll give a neutral. Thumbs up. Neutral. Next, Justice League of America, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it a total of three out of five. This issue deals with Rao. Batman's investigating whether or not Rao is as good as he is. Because if it wasn't for Batman, everyone would just think that Rao is the best thing in the world. He actually has some doctor run some tests on somebody who actually used to be a former thief who had some problems, who was blessed by Rao and his, or his prophets. And they, they the doctors find out that there's some protein markers that are added into the DNA, as well as some certain areas of the brain that are enlarged, leading these people to feel like they are having better, they, they, they feel happier and in turn have better lives. Uh, Superman asks, asks Cyborg and his father to test his blood. Um, and basically they find out that Superman has the same markers and that it's from way back in the day when Rao was on Krypton that a lot of the Kryptonian people also have these same markers and were, I guess, quote-unquote, blessed by Rao as well. Um, in the in, On Krypton, in the past, Green Lantern's there and he finds Rao as an old man who actually sucks the youth out of his profits, leading us to believe that, as we all assumed, Rao was bad. So for this issue, I will give a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Neutral. And next we have Justice League United, number 14, reviewed by Ryan. In this issue, we have... A ton of things happening. Vandal Savage is being, uh, Sergeant Rock is going after Vandal Savage. Uh, we have Enemy Ace show up. Batgirl is, plays a pretty pivotal role in this issue as well. Um, Enemy Ace, uh, is here. We have the Creature Commandos. It's revealed that OMAC is involved. There's a lot of different things going on, uh, but in a good way. Uh, for this issue, I'm going to give a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Neutral. And last but not least, we have DC Comics Bombshells number three, which collects digital chapters seven through nine. This was obviously reviewed by Stella. She gave it three out of five. Stella, what happened in this issue? Yes. Yeah, so you 
What may think here? Okay. The first part is still a Joker's daughter, my least favorite part. And uh, there's some sacrificing, a la like the Terminus sacrificing in The Walking Dead where they're slitting a bunch of people's throat. Blood creates this this dark entity um, uh, named Tenebris. And so he may be connected with that weird eyeball we saw way back in issue one. The middle part, which is my favorite part and the best, I think, is Batwoman. Um, she's about to leave to go off on her mission. She and Maggie spend a, a romantic evening their last night together wonderfully. And she goes with the wall and meets two new characters, uh, Dr. Light, the good one, and um, Big Barda. And basically her first mission is to go over to Hitler or go over to Germany as a spy in order to take down Hitler. And her connection is going to be Catwoman herself. And then the final part was uh, with Wonder Woman. And basically uh, Diana, Steve, and Mira are traveling along, gazing at stars when they come into a battle. And Diana's fighting the Nazis when all of a sudden General Lane shows up and then sends out a call to the wall and says, hey, we found another bombshell. So I'm hoping that with this name bombshell because it was used in both Batwoman and the, the Wonder Woman part that we're starting to see storylines combine. The only one I'm not sure at all about is the Joker's daughter storyline, so I just kind of want that to go away, but we'll see. Alright, so for this issue I'm giving a thumbs up. Neutral. Uh, yeah, I'll give it a thumbs up. Alright, so that is all of our reviews, all of the reviews we have over on the website. Obviously, if you want to know more in-depth with what happened in all these books, head over to the website, take a look at the reviews that all of our great reviewers have posted, leave comments on those, start a conversation with the guys who are writing those reviews. Those, I'm sure, I know I appreciate comments on stuff, and I know that the reviewers, they appreciate comments as well. So be sure to read extensive reviews on all those, and obviously all of the books that we also talked about earlier, Batman Detective Comics and Batman and Robin Eternal are also reviewed on a weekly basis, or on, on the website as well. So be sure to check out all of the reviews that we have on the website. Alright, so with that, that is all of the books. Let's get straight into our listener Q&As, because boy is there a lot. So the first one comes from Stella, and it, she said, I just finished Night's Quest, and it's interesting that during the conclusion, Robin number 7, Bat- Bruce says he has lost his muscle memory and cannot just return to being Batman. Compare that with the annual, where he's been away and still has no memory. Is there something to investigate here, or is that just an inconsistency? As a follow-up, Ian said, Do you think it's because in Nightfall his spine was broken, so all of his muscles weren't used at all? Pretty much, whereas in Endgame Super Heavy, he was revived pretty much physically intact or better, so his muscles wouldn't atrophy. All right, so f- let's talk about this for a second. Stella, you, it was your your comment. What do you, l- let's talk about it. Oh, okay. Um, I guess I thought it was a little strange. Um, it, maybe it's just an inconsistency, but I mean, Bruce is away for a while. And he says it's all gone. So he needs all this training. Of course, he goes off, you know, with Lady Shiva in order to get it back. And yet we, we even talked about this in the last, you know, in that episode, which is why I brought it up that, I mean, how long was he in the cave though? Don't you think something would have happened to him during, 
uh, end game slash super heavy. But he comes back and he's able to to dish out some justice with his fists. So I thought that was a little strange, and it may again point to another person that just is, has no knowledge of of Batman Bruce Wayne. Or it's just a, it's an inconsistency, but I, I feel like maybe it points to Bruce being another person. And Don also said in Night's Quest he had been Batman for 10 plus years and was coming back from being paralyzed. In the annual, he's been Batman for 6 question mark plus years and hasn't suffered quite the same injury. I think it'd be an inconsistency, I think it being an inconsistency is possible, but then again there are two, they are two different scenarios. So, my thought on this is, Obviously, we have to look at them from two different, as two different scenarios, um, because we don't know if, you know, the way it was written in the annual, it's still implied that, you know, Night's, Nightfall actually happened and Night's Quest happened and he was paralyzed at some point. We don't know if that actually still occurred. Um, so that, that's my thoughts on it, but at the same time, I still feel as if there is something off about you know, saying he's able to regenerate his entire body so that when they pull him out, you know, he's not broken in any way, shape, or form, but his memories are all gone. I don't know the uh, how to explain the science behind a brain being able to regenerate itself, but the memories aren't there anymore. Like, to me, there's something off with that, but it just could be because the science of it doesn't make any sense. Well, I think it's all – it goes back to – Again, I know the explanation was very windy uh, that Snyder gave us, but that it it wasn't his brain didn't get fixed. He got a new brain, you know. So it just it's not there. That's the explanation as it's being given to us right now. But I certainly do understand the inconsistency. All right. Next, Terry says, "Hey guys, thanks for another great episode. I had just a few thoughts about some of the things you discussed. First, I really love the annual. I agree that we could have seen more stories from the new Arkham Manor, but given that they hadn't been even mentioned." They haven't even mentioned it in months. I think that they kind of gave up on the idea. We knew that it would end eventually and that we'd see Bruce back in the Wayne Manor, but it does feel a bit disjointed because we haven't seen it or really seen Bruce in his apartment outside of the Manor in a while. However, I do have an issue with the fact that this stems from some panels that we see in Batman number 43. I had honestly forgotten that Bruce didn't own Wayne Manor anymore because in the panels we see flashbacks to Alfred explaining Bruce's history to Bruce after his mind wipe and we see them sitting in a room with a grandfather clock and Alfred even stands in front of the clock just before he's going to tell Bruce about Batman. I just assumed that this was Wayne Manor and that the clock led down to the Batcave. Maybe they got temporary access to the manor before this, although that doesn't really make sense if Arkham was still there. Or maybe they had an, had an almost identical setup with the clock leading to a secret area in one of those other safe houses, but that moment seemed to be back in Wayne Manor, and I'd forgotten that we'd even need Bruce to get back to his house. Also, thinking of Alfred in that moment, we see him explain things to Bruce and Superman as well. Makes me wonder if there wasn't another missed opportunity with the annual in showing us more of Alfred's mindset in all of this. With Alfred appearing sparingly in Batman, being the man behind the curtain in We Are Robin, and missing out on his reunion with Dick altogether in Grace number 12, I think the annual could have been a great opportunity to find out exactly what's going on with Alfred. We never 
going, we're never going to see Alfred, see an Alfred ongoing or even a one shot. And it just feels like there is an Alfred shaped hole in the story right now. I like to think that we will get a better explanation of Alfred's role during this time at the end of this event or whenever Bruce finally takes back the cowl. But I think it's more likely that Alfred just got sidelined and we never really get any explanation at all. Lastly, given Stella's call for an outcry of on the TBU Facebook page, I want to take a minute and say that I am Don Dustin's side about blooper reels. What the trivia? Anyways, thanks for another great episode, and I'm looking forward to all of your reviews and thoughts of these new books over the next few months. P.S. Team Dick slash Corey forever. Oh, oh. I love and hate this okay. guy at the same time. Okay. okay, so here's the thing. First off, what he's referring to is Stella made a comment when we posted the new episode, the last episode, episode 171, and we made the post on the Facebook page. Stella commented that everybody should say that I should bring back the blooper reels. Okay, so that's what he's referring to. Obviously, my stance, because I'm the person who's actually editing the podcast and have admitted, omitted the bloopers from the episode's for the last, I don't know, six months to a year at this point. Um, because of that, obviously I'm on the side that the bloopers no longer need to exist. Stella, on the other hand, believes that they need to exist in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So that being said, if you have the desire for bloopers, on Stella's behalf, I implore you to comment. <laughs> but I have this feeling that somebody high up within the TBU ranks is probably going to smash that idea Altogether, you, you, you wouldn't what? like to be specific about who that would be, would you? I'm no, no, not at all. Take him out. All right, then uh, Stella then responded and said, "What, Terry? What do you have against bloopers?" He said, "I'm a, I'm just a contrarian curmudgeon sometimes." Ha! I also take back my Dick Corey comment. What? I said, I said it out of the same contrarian <laughs> mindset, but it left a bad taste in my mouth. I'd like to see someone explore the Jason Babs thing from Eternal More, though. I then you, Ian responded, but Barbara has too many love interests right now. Okay. Much as Stella and Donovan didn't like the Luke Babs fling in Batman number 44, I think it's nice and wish she's just picked someone for more than two issues in a row. Agreed, sir. Okay, so <sighs> we're no longer there for Dick and Corey. Uh, so basically, Terry, you're on the complete bad side of, of Ed right now. Back on the island. Like, you visited me and then like, hey, you're here and now you're leaving. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. But yes, uh, Barbara does need to honestly pick somebody and just stick to it because that <laughs> I, I've, it is a huge, huge problem She's in my opinion. She's just a young lady having a good time. All right, next, Eric says, hello, I just wanted to chime in and offer some support for Dick and Corey. Ooh. I've always been prepared. I've always preferred this pairing because I see Dick and Babs more as siblings, Papa Bats, than as lovers. I know that workplace romances <laughs> happen. But once it always seemed too matchy matchy convenient for me. On a related note, why is it that only Dick Grayson's love light is all that ever gets talked about? There are other Robins, you know. Let's hear some Jason Tim pairings. Perhaps Damien is a bit young. I don't have one for Jason, but here's a layup to Tumblr. I always feel felt that the Tim Connor pairing made the most sense. I mean, Tim loses a few girlfriends over the years, and never once does he try to clone them. Dick and Corey, Tim and Connor. Wow. Thanks for all your hard work. He just brought some slash into this. Wow. Yes. I think realistically <laughs> that I think we're, we're, we're a little outside. I mean, like I understand your point about obviously Tim has lost some girlfriends yeah. and he's never tried to clone them, but I think that's a little outside the box that, and, and, and I don't think there's any sort of like romantic love life going on between Tim and Connor in any way, shape or form, but one can hope. 
sure, Stella is the one that can hope. <laughs> Come on. I, no, I just say that anyone can, you know, have their own thoughts. Have, have a dream. Couples. Yeah. All right. I want Tim with Stephanie. Seriously. Like, I agree with that as well. That's so But nice. I also wonder what Tim and Harper two. would be like. Tim and Harper, I mean, he's uh, like, you're make, you're going to make me like bash Harper again. <laughs> Don 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 responded and said, "I am I'm ride or die for Tim and his old flame Arian Jakoshenko from the old Chuck Dixon Robin title days." But I like the Tim Steph pairing as well. Tim and Connor, sure, why not? Yeah, Connor was dating Cassandra Sandsmark, aka Wonder Wonder Girl, at the time. But in that moment of passion, she and Tim kissed as well. So maybe Cassandra could have them both have them on both. This is getting rather sordid, isn't it? Oh, yes. Well, yes, here's the thing, though. You shouldn't be dating someone that, you know, in your mutual grief, you're making out with. And that's that's where Tim and, and Cassandra Sandsmark uh, were making out because it's their shared grief over what you call it. And, you know, I also have to say, gosh, Donovan weaves the podcast, but he sure is ever-present on all of these episodes, isn't he? Well, it happens. Yes. You know, your friend, but, your girlfriend hey, that's died. Because, that's because he's, he's slowly getting more into what's happening in the books. That's why. So it's coming back? So it comes down to, he, he actually left a comment over on the Batman and Robin Eternal number one, including he sent me a text message as soon as he read it and was like, I read the first issue. It was great. I love it. And I'm, and hey, you know, great for him loving it. He's a Cascade uh, lover though. I mean, he, lo- yes, he, he really loves like Cass. So. Yeah. That would explain. So if he gave it thumbs up, then it definitely, Deserves that. Uh, then Ian chimed in and said, "Thus, why I ignore romantic pairings from the various Teen Titans Justice League? I, it, it's just so messy and too soap, soapy to really be enjoyable. I think all the cheating and betrayals—they're supposed to be heroes. Of course, I'm a diehard Tim Steph shipper, so I have my biases. All right. And here we so, go with this next one about Snyder. Yes. Right, and then, of course, we get into our favorite hour. topic of all: <laughs> Scott Snyder. So, Caleb says, so I've decided to share my opinion slash theory that no one asked for. I think the problem with Snyder is that his ego has gotten so far out of control that no editor is brave enough to reel him back or they incorrectly think that he can do no wrong and everything he wants to write is gold. At this point, Snyder almost refuses to use anyone else's characters other than his own creations. Snyder's first major Batman story was his own creation, which I believe is partially responsible for the mess that Batman, that the, the Batman main story has become. Since Cordovales was such an awesome story right out of the gate, it seems like Snyder was given free reign to do as he pleased. But he couldn't write Batman without using any of the rogues gallery, so he just starts using classic villains by name only, i.e. Death of the Family, Endgame, and Zillier. First, I think he tested the waters by rewriting a well-loved Bat villain's origin with Mr. Freeze. When no one stopped him there, he took the Joker from being the clown prince of crime to being this uh, Moriarty style character that is more about the long-term planning and controlled schemes than mass chaos. He made the Riddler into someone who's more concerned with being powerful rather than outsmarting Batman and proving himself to be the smartest man in Gotham. Also, the entire point behind Zero Year is for Snyder to rewrite Batman's origin how he wanted it to be, once again showing he won't use someone else's character, so he is slowly tweaking Batman into his own character. Then, after Endgame, Snyder goes one step further and literally creates his own Batman with Jim Gordon's super-heavy version. We've all heard Snyder talk about why he doesn't like to use other Bat-family characters 
with different excuses for each one, but I'm calling bullcrap on every one of his excuses. He just doesn't want to write characters other than, other than the people he created. He says he won't write Damien because his son is the same age as Damien and doesn't feel right about doing it, but then he goes and creates Duke Thomas, Thomas who roughly is the same age as Damien, kills his parents, and eventually plans to make him the next Robin. Bingo. Why use the tech-savvy female back character Barbara Gordon when you when you can create your own Harper Rowe? Why go with the classic Alfred when you can create Julia Pennyworth? Finally, why would you write stories about how Jim Gordon Batman would handle a classic Batman villain when you could just go and create another one of your own villains in Mr. Bloom? Honestly, I think Snyder is just creating a bunch of characters that won't be used again once he's off the book because they are unneeded, unwanted, and essentially are nothing more than just recreations of current characters. Aside from all the various Court of Owls characters and possibly Mr. Bloom, depending on how super heavy story pans out, all the characters Snyder has created, in my opinion, are crap. I'm not sorry this comment was so long. Please discuss. Thanks. All right, so... So you're saying there's a chance. So here, here's the thing. There, you bring up a, a lot of really good points when it comes to a lot of the stuff, and and some of the stuff we've said before. You know, the fact that he doesn't use characters. Couple, couple of points. I don't think that Duke Thomas is the same age as Damien in any way. I think there's sometimes he's been drawn where he looks the same age, but Duke Thomas, I believe, is supposed to be about the same age as Tim Drake, 16. which is sixteen. Yeah. I don't think he's supposed to be the twelve years old like Damien. So there is a difference there. Damien is 12, Scott Snyder's son is 8. There's also a difference there, but a lot of people don't even put that together either. Um, the, it's still a young kid, though. It's, it I, is, yes, yeah. and I agree. It is still a young kid, I, and I understand that, but at the same point, this is ha- like th- this kind of stuff is happening in the same world where he introduces this idea of the We Are Robins to a degree, where there's a group of people who just, you know, are wearing the Robin, you know, th- are doing this thing. You know, he might not have, you know, he's, he might not be, you know, in pl- story planning meetings with Libra Mayho when Libra Mayho is writing We Are Robin, but we have characters in We Are Robin who are being killed who are young kids. And that's stemming from his creation of essentially Duke Thomas. And Duke Thomas needing a place to basically put, you know, have, have a, uh, a main place to be. So, here, overall, here's the thing. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that Snyder is super egotistical. I mean, we've, we've said this before as far as Snyder is just, he, he, he's writing his characters, his stories. Julia Pennyworth, I will give him credit on that. That wasn't his creation. That's just a character that had previously existed that nobody really ever used, uh, that existed back in the eighties. And honestly, the reason that character even got brought into the mix was because of James Tinian, not Snyder, because Tinian has said that uh, uh, Julia was brought in during Eternal, and that was him. It wasn't Snyder who did that. Snyder just continues to utilize uh, Julia rather than using Alfred. But that all being said, I don't know that Snyder is egotistical, and I don't know that editorial is just letting him do whatever he wants. I mean, obviously, when you have the top-selling book for the company for as long as they've been on the book... I mean, there's a couple months where it flip-flops with Justice League, but Batman is normally the top book for DC. When you have the top book, you have a lot of free reign to do whatever you want. Do 
decide to use the full reign or not. And Snyder just seems like he decides he's going to use a lot of the free reign to do whatever he wants. And if he thought he was telling something bad, I don't know that he would tell it. I mean, like, we might not agree with some of the things he's done, but that doesn't mean he thinks that he's writing crap. He thinks he's writing something really good. So in, in, he's going to keep doing it. And now that we know that he's going to be on the book way past 50 for however long, we're assuming at least until 75, that's another two years that he's going to be on the book. So there's, you know, the stuff that he's doing, it, as we've said, it bleeds over into all the other books and it's going to keep happening as long as he's on the book. So unless he leaves the book, which now we know isn't happening anytime in the immediate future, we're going to keep seeing Snyder dictating everything that's going on in that universe. There's a, there's a number which will express why Snyder gets to do this stuff too. The number is 38,152. That's how many more issues of Batman that were sold than any other DC comic book last month. It's outselling Justice League by almost 40,000 issues a month now. Of course he can do it everyone. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's outselling their number two book by more issues than Action Comics sells. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's in a dominant position. And in a world right now that's ruled by Star Wars and Marvel in the top ten, right? Batman's the one book that is selling like a, a premier flagship book. I don't think it's ego, though, and I think, Dustin, you hit that on the head. I very much doubt that Scott Snyder would sit around and write stuff that he thought was bad, right? And I do think that he he does reinvent characters. As much as we're always talking about why doesn't he just reinvent characters, Jim Gordon Jr. was a reinvention of a character. Like you said, Julia Penningworth was not an original character. It was Tanyan that brought her back. Um, he did reinvent the Joker. He did give us his own spin on the Riddler, his own spin on Clayface. Hell, he gave us his own spin on Gotham City. I mean, you could argue that, that the Court of Owls is a reinventation of the history of Gotham, not a new character. Um, so I think the idea that, that he doesn't play with other characters is is false. Because we, in one breath we say, well, he doesn't, why doesn't he use original characters? And the next breath we complain about what he did to original characters. You know? Um, I, I, I think he's original, and I think it is different. And I think I can certainly understand why people wouldn't like it, but... Um, I think it's good. So, everyone knows that. Yeah, we all know. <laughs> everyone knows that. We yeah. all know. Yeah. I, I have no comments, uh, honestly, to make, but it did bring up a sad, sad reminder to me that I was going to, um, put forth the hypothesis that Jerry from Powers is Mr. Bloom, and I forgot to say that. Well, that would be an interesting twist, especially the way that (laughs) issue number 45 just ended. Did not see that coming. So, there was two responses to his comment. First comes from Don. He says, I think... I think presenting the situation such as that when where you're talking about Snyder's ego is too far. The last thing he strikes me as is, is... as is egotistical. And although one can't blame someone for writing one of the most continuously successful comic titles in the industry for getting a big head, that's not the case with Scott Snyder in my experience. You can dis- dislike his use or unuse of characters as much as you please, but making it personal in that way that you, that you have is unnecessary and mean-spirited, in my opinion. Then Ian responded, I agree with Donovan. Like or dislike him, Snyder has continuously has been continuously humble, or consistently, has been consistently humble, kind, upfront about giving credit to his collaborators and grateful to the fans. I don't think Snyder only uses his own characters. He didn't create Jim Gordon or Riddler or even Julia Pennyworth. And you might 
as well blame Chuck Dixon for using Spoiler or Bane, which he did quite a bit. Every creator like making likes making their own characters. Every strong creator creates their own spin on a character, such as Loeb, Miller, Rucka, compare their Batman, and you'll find distinct differences. Duke Thomas is 16, not 10 or 12. Uh, the source comes from We Are Robin, number 4, uh, the back material. Barbara Gordon is central to the Bat family in a way that Harper Rogue can never be, at least not for a decade, and it's important that Harper be marginalized. See also her current anchor in Batman Robin Eternal, which I assume will be a driving force in that storyline. Furthermore, Snyder has shown both before and after the Flashpoint reboot that he is very interested in bringing characters to the forefront who are being ignored, such as Stephanie Brown in Batman Eternal, Cassandra Cain in Gates of Gotham, Batman Robin Eternal, I, for one, are, uh, I, for one, greatly enjoy Harper Row, as I've said before, and hope that once Batman Robin Eternal is complete, we'll see her pop up in a major ongoing title, just as Stephanie Brown did in Catwoman after Batman Eternal. Alright, so, you bring up a lot of good points, most of which I literally already said before I read the comment, but the one thing that I, th- I do have to point out is that when you say Snyder is very interested in bringing characters to the forefront who are being ignored. Stephanie Brown in Batman Eternal, Cassandra Cain in Gates of Gotham and Batman Robin Eternal, which, which, which we could also say Cassandra Cain as well. I do have to just say this. It's not Snyder who's doing that. It's not Snyder in my opinion at all. I think what actually is the driving force behind that is actually James Tinian. Tinian, when you read his stories, whether it be a Batman annual like it was Last month, whether you read his stuff, his his direct scripts that he works on when he's doing Batman and Robin Eternal or Batman Eternal, that guy gets the Bat Universe, in my opinion. He gets it completely. And I've said this before, I'd like to see him on a normal Bat title ongoing because I think he could do some interesting things. He just is very new to the industry, and outside of being good friends with Scott Snyder, he doesn't have a lot of experience. But the experience he does have, he was the main plot, or he plotted a lot of the main points in Batman and Eternal. Whether or not it, you know, it worked out as well as everybody wished it did or not, he was, he did a lot of that. You know, Stephanie Brown, every story that Stephanie Brown was in, was a, a pivotal character in during Batman Eternal, he was writing those scripts. So, I think, realistically, when you give Snyder credit for bringing these characters who have been, uh, reg- re- you know, related to not being used at all, I don't think that Snyder deserves that credit at all. Tinian deserves the credit for Stephanie Brown, in my opinion. Tinian deserves the credit for Cassandra Cain in Batman and Robin Eternal, in my opinion. And I feel as if, because Snyder has said multiple times that, again, his name is on the book, but he is just there. More as like a mentor for the group of writers than anything else because he doesn't actually write scripts. He kind of helps them plot the story, but that's it. So that's kind of like a mentor role, in my opinion. And then mentioning Cassandra Cain and Gates of Gotham, that not, that wasn't necessarily Snyder either because Snyder, again, was his name was on that book, but the real force behind that book was actually Kyle Higgins. And Snyder has said that multiple times. So... I feel like Snyder gets credit for things that he doesn't deserve. And that's nothing against Snyder in that. And, and when I say that, I just say that with, you know, we have to think of it as like Julia Pennyworth, again, was not brought in by Snyder. That was brought in by Tinian and Eternal. So when we, and, and Tinian, you know, as we said earlier in comic news, he has said that 
they have intentions of bringing other characters into the fold within the pages of Batman Robin Eternal. Snyder's not going out and talking about Eternal. He's not going out and saying, you know, that there's other characters. It's Tinian because it's him who's doing the plots. You know, he's bringing the plot points that bring in these characters. So my, my thing is, Snyder, you know, I agree with some of those comments earlier about Snyder. You know, he does do certain things that I'm not a big fan of, and he does use a lot of his own creations uh, instead of using existing characters. I mean, are we going to get to the point where they just end up starting to kill off certain characters because there's just no there's no use for them anymore? I don't know. I feel like something like that could eventually happen because Tim Drake is is like you know, probably number one on that list if something happens where, you know, would they just get rid of Tim Drake because they're outside of when Tinian writes him in Eternal, you know, whether it be the first volume or the second volume, and his own appearances in Teen Titans, he has nothing to do with the Bat family outside of those books at all. So there has to be something that happens, and I feel like it'll get to the point where maybe they'll just kill kill him off. But... I'm getting completely out off the topic, but my point is, yes. with with Snyder, there's always going to be people who disagree with things he does, and there's going to be people who agree with things he does, and there's people who do both. They agree and disagree, and I'm one of those people who I agree with some of it, and I disagree with you know, some more of it, uh, probably a little bit more than I agree with. But at the same point, you can't deny somebody who is as successful as he is. Like, we might not like how wordy he is. We might not like... You know, his, you know, we might not like Mr. Bloom. We might not like Jim Gordon. And there's been plenty of people who have commented on the, on, you know, the, the past couple episodes or the ca- past couple months of episodes that have said that they are not a big fan of the Jim Gordon Batman, but it's still selling ridiculously high. So yeah. there's something about whatever Snyder's doing. I don't know what it is, but it's somehow connecting to an audience that none of the other DC books well, can connect to. It's not poorly written. Like, even if you don't like the direction, it's not like it's written. We've all wrote, we've all read really badly written stories. Oh yes. Oh, right. Yeah. Even if you disagree with the, the direction that Snyder's going, it's not because it's, it's bad, it's bad writing because you just don't like the chances he's taking, you know? Also, it does bear a bit of repetition of what Donovan said is of all. And I know a lot of people that go to conventions and, you know, people that talk to creators like that. Scott Snyder has always been known as a super nice guy. Like, yeah, super humble. Yeah, too. not a jerk. I mean, look at what happened. I, I'm sure everyone saw that that news that from New York Comic Con where a lot of the creators were charging for, have started charging for autographs. Yeah, right. And that Snyder was doing it for free, if just and had a pot there. I don't think that was at New York. I think that was at uh, Baltimore. Was it Baltimore where where he yeah. was just asking you to give a donation to the Hero Initiative, which is for the writers from the 70s and 80s that didn't yes. get some of you know. And that was completely optional too. It wasn't like he was requiring people to do that no. either. And there's other writers who do that too. too. But Peter Tomasi does that as yeah, well. Tomasi does it. But I just I think that there is a, a bearing there that if you listen to Scott Snyder in interviews um, that he's done on a lot of different things, he just doesn't seem like an ass. He seems like a nice guy, you know. And I think that that is important as well because I don't think it would be ego driven. Something you brought up was how many times that. He, they put his name on the top of the book and try to act like he's the head writer, like you said on Eternal with Tinian. It was Snyder that was going, dude, that's not me that's doing all the work. It's that guy. Yep. You know? So I don't think he sounds like the guy, the guy that tries to hog the spotlight or anything like that. Um, so, yeah. And I, I'll say this, okay? We, we at TBU have dealt with Snyder on multiple occasions. I myself did an interview with him that is on our interviews feed. is probably like three years ago because it was – right after uh, Court of Owls started, October of 2011. So I guess that was four years ago. But we we 
we talked and it was at length and he had no time restrictions at all. The only reason the interview ended up stopping was because I ran out of questions. I mean, he had no problem going as long as he, as long as I wanted to. Um, the few times that we've dealt with him at conventions, whether it be San Diego or C2E2 or New York Comic Con, every single time he has absolutely no problem. And, and Snyder is actually one of those, uh, creators who it's actually very difficult to get an interview with because he's the type who he will give really long, great answers, whether it's not, it doesn't, it's not that they're, they're newsworthy answers or anything, but he gives very in-depth responses to ma- no matter who it is. Like, obviously, anybody out there who reads comic news on other websites like CBR or Newsarama knows that the Batman universe is not to the scale that those websites are. I love to be that way, but that's just not the reality of it. And the thing is, Snyder will give the exact same responses and exact same attention and and uh, response and uh, answers to TBU as he would CBR or Newsarama, yep. and I and that's that's greatly appreciated. He did an extensive interview with uh, a podcast that I had never even heard of. A couple, it was probably like back in April or something, and it was like a two and a half hour interview where he just talks about like everything and anything related to his work with American vampire and Batman, even going back to swamp thing and things like that. And like, I'm listening to this interview. I'm like, this is a great interview. And I don't know that the people who did the interview know how great this is because it was so completely off the cuff. You could tell it was not hindered by DC in any way, shape or form because he was saying stuff and he was, you know, he had a potty mouth at, at certain points in the conversation, which DC is, strictly against oh, yes. their creators doing. So you could tell it was completely off the cuff and he, it was a great interview. Like I listened to it and I was just like, this is really good. And, but he's, but this was like a podcast that wasn't like fat man on Batman where, you know, it's, it, it, you know, tons of people listen to it. So, you know, I don't have any, just because I don't agree with some of the stuff he's done. Am I going to sit here and say it's because of his ego? Because I don't think that's the case at all. He, as he has said, he's going to try to tell the best stories he can come up with. Whether it works for Batman or whether he comes up with the idea and just thinks of how it can work with Batman are two different things, but it still ends up being work and it's, and it sells. So if it keeps selling and DC keeps them on the book, we're going to keep getting crazy stuff happening in the book. That's just something we're going to expect. But I mean, think about it like this. I'm not super keen on some of the stuff he's done, but what's the alternative going back to like 2010 where some of the books were like completely unreadable and I couldn't stand listening. I couldn't stand reading, you know, detective comics or Batman because the stories were just horrible or having like three issue story arcs for one writer because they're not on the book for that long. So, I mean like the alternative is, an extreme, but that's how it was before he took over. So at least there is a lot of consistency as much as I don't necessarily agree with, you know, some of it, there is a lot of consistency through the books and a lot of it comes from him and how much he's, uh, how much his book sells. So and but look at this from a very realistic point of view. Think about, I mean, this is again, selfish for us, our own selfish podcasting needs, but his stores are always so interesting and in surrounding him is always interesting. He's always given us something to talk about. It's true. You know, very true. I mean, we're never like, well, it's okay. It was fine. There's always something to talk about with that guy. All right. So with that, that is everything for this episode. Like I said, if we would, we would have a discussion, but our listener Q and A's, we've been getting a lot of them. So, Beefy. and there's a lot of discussion just referring to that stuff. So that being said, 
That is everything for this episode. I implore you to head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check out all the other podcasts we have to offer over on the website. There's tons of new episodes releasing every single week, so I implore you to check that out. Also be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Also join our Facebook group to chat with other Bat fans related to everything originating from the Batman universe. I also implore you to leave us reviews on iTunes. I just happened to go on iTunes after the last episode, and there was that comment that Michael left about leaving reviews on iTunes, and I saw that someone did has left a new review in the last two weeks. Much appreciated. But I also noticed that somehow our good friends over at the TBU podcast have somehow bumped us and they are, they have actually more ratings and more reviews over the past six months, which has bumped them up in the spots of Batman podcasts. So we're going to have a little friendly, a little friendly competition here with the, our, our good guys over at the TBU podcast. <laughs> and, uh, we implore you to head over to iTunes, leave us reviews and five star ratings so that we can try to bump us ourselves back up as the best TBU podcast of the group. Oh my God. You know, just a friendly competition. Friendly competition. I think it's, like, it's a completely like, different site, though. Our friends over at the Batman Universe. I mean, we are the Batman Universe. Yes, but it's another podcast that none of us are on. So it's a friendly competition. Stella's reading too far into it. I'm not trying to make it seem like anything other than let's try to make the comic cast the the the, the, the highest rated one on iTunes out of the TV cast. That's all I'm saying, because that's all I've been saying for the last six months, and I haven't looked on iTunes in the last six months, and for all I know, they could have actually unseated us a while ago. But all that aside, please leave a reviews on iTunes. Also, be sure to leave your comments in the comment section of the website, so we can be sure to discuss those on the next episode. We will be back here in two weeks, and we will have uh, two issues of Eternal, and that'll be it. So if you have, now's the time to... Uh, put the big discussion points. Probably not about Snyder because I feel like we've talked about Snyder a lot. But hey, you know what? If you guys want to talk about Snyder, Snyder Radio Hour, just just give us something else to talk about in relation to Snyder. Another theory, like we got this episode or something like that, so that we have something else to talk about Snyder. Because as Ed said, when we were planning out when we were recording, well, we'll talk about Snyder for at least thirty minutes. So. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So, that all being said, give us ideas of what you'd like us to discuss uh, when you leave your listener comments on the website. With that, that is everything. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella. And you have been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. (laughs) 